Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> this is going to be another exciting day at Action Radio. And so again, with these these uh, you know incredible interviews that we're we're getting lately, uh, uh, you know because I'm not a, a multi you know generational year you know radio personality. I've been doing this about five years now. Uh, well, maybe six years now. Let me think. March 2017. So yeah, March 1st, 2017 will be my. Um, my six-year anniversary in radio, uh, with a little bit of a break in there after uh, between WBY and between Block Talk Radio. It's about six months there where I was off, um, but uh, she's trying to figure out what to do after WBY Radio. Um, but it's uh, every and I wonder if the, like the, the the folks, you know, uh, especially even the big hosts, you know, the Sean Hannity still get a little nervous, you know, before he interviews Donald Trump. I hope so. I, I think that's part of the uh, part of the challenge, part of the joy, part of the the excitement of doing radio. And we have one of those folks uh, today, Christina Bob. Christina Bob is Trump's lawyer. Uh, I'm sure probably one of many of Trump's lawyers. She just has a new book coming out called uh, Stealing Your Vote, you know, the inside story of the 2020 election. And that's something we've talked about for, well, since, since the 20, actually before the 2020 election. You know, it was, I knew, uh, I actually have a contention that the 2018 election was also stolen uh, in terms of, of the House because there were seven congressional seats in California that were mysteriously overturned, you know, and changed after all these new ballots showed up you know, by truck and van and pickup and everything else like that. So, oh, we found more votes. And they just kept finding new votes until the Democrats won. And then uh, the gelding Republicans, the GOP, you know, do what they always do, which is surrender. And say, so, oh, gee, I guess you're right. I guess those really are real votes. You know, and so the House is overturned. And, of course, that brought us all the impeachments and all the problems and, and, and ruined uh, the second half of Trump's term, uh, first term. And then, of course, when COVID hit, you know, 2019, it was just a disaster because you already had the Democrat House uh, and uh, I think it was still, I guess it's still a Republican Senate then, but it didn't matter because, <laughs> you know, M- Mitch McConnell is this deep state if they come anyway. So you've got deep state cowardly surrendering, you know, Republicans, uh, w- which I call the, uh, the GOP, the, um, you know, the gelding old party. And then you've got the absolute Marxist driven leftist Democrats. And that's no way to run a country. So, so you've got, you know, the uni party, the deep state, you know, is running things and I'm wondering how long they've been running things. So, so uh, this is, this is the day for all your deep, dark conspiracies. This is your day to look into uh, how bad our government really is. This is the day to challenge all those illusions of, uh, you know, the, the, the land of the free home of the brave, you know, as opposed to the uh, land of the, the, the Marxist, you know, home of the deep state. And so this has become a very interesting country. The perception of America is a free country. Uh, I've, I've, you know, always thought, you know, this was you know, the great country, you know, the, the place to be uh, just because of, of the potential and everything that's going on. But it's nowhere near as great as it can be. And see, this is the problem I've always had. It was the freest country in the world. Okay, well, I'm not satisfied with that because that that's not really a high standard considering most countries aren't free at all. I mean, the British are still subjects. They're not citizens. They're subjects to the monarch. You mentioned being subject to, to King Charles. I mean, please, give me a break. All right? There's no way to live your life, you know, being subject to a monarch. Uh, it's no way to live your life being under a European Union. It's certainly no way to live your life being under a communist dictatorship. So most of the world is not free. So the idea that the United States is the freest country on earth, uh, and even then I'm not sure, because a lot of areas were not. You know, uh, but, but the question is not, uh, how, are we the freest nation on earth? Are we as free as we could be? And the answer is no. 
And so that's what Action Radio is dedicated to, is being the freest nation that we can be, you know, given my lifetime and everybody else that, you know, takes over, you know, after I'm done. And so that's what this is really all about. So something interesting has been happening in the news. And Christina Bob, she's coming on in the next hour. So we're, uh, you know, I'm all set. I've been, I've been prepping for what, like five days? <laughs> I've got enough questions for about five hours, but I'm not going to, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get lucky and she'll stay longer than 30 minutes, but there's no guarantees. Anyway, so Christina Bob starts at the top of the, uh, the next hour. And after that, I have, um, I got a WEBY classic interview uh, with Chris Barra, who's uh, the tax and management, financial management, you know, whiz. He's got a master's in, in wealth, you know, administration. So uh, smart guy. That was back, um, and I'm trying to get him on the show. I haven't heard from him for a while. So I'm going to send him the interview and say, hey, Chris. Remember when he used to be on, the, on my show, and hopefully I can inspire uh, something there. So that's the third hour. Unless, of course, we just get to chatting. And, Gordon, and again, if, if Christina Bob can stick around for a while, then we'll do that. And, of course, anybody's welcome to chat after her interview you know, and sort of follow up. And uh, I'll be sending her the podcast. So if you can't ask a question you know, when she's here, you know, there's a good chance that, uh, that she'll, get the, well, she'll get the podcast. And you know, hopefully she'll, she'll listen to you know, the follow-up afterwards, and we'll see what happens. Um, I've got the live chat. The live chat is open. So feel free to post questions there, um, to, to make comments, to do anything you want. And that's worldwide. So, uh, again, it only works you know, while the show is live, unfortunately. Uh, I, I kind of wish the live chat would stick around. You know, people could read the chat after uh, the show. But uh, that's not the case. Anyway, so that works. Live chat works. It's on your broadcast page right at the bottom. And the other thing is we have our Skype line. And I haven't checked it for a while, so I don't know if anybody's called in the last few days. But uh, we have the Skype line which works online on the internet. So you call using the internet Skype uh, and I've got the, uh, the code there, you know, live colon period CID and all the other stuff like that. So that gets, that goes directly to the studio, goes directly to my screen. So I'll see it when you call in, but I have to approve your account first. And so that's how that works. The other thing is our websites, the one you're listening to right now is, is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Uh, our legislative website, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And our Give, Send, Go site is givesendgo.com slash action radio, givesendgo.com slash action radio. And that's where you can contribute, you know, to help us you know, do what we do best, which is fight for freedom. Um, so I just, I watched the, um, the video from Dark Outpost. You know, it's, it's on my Facebook page. It's all over. Or just go to their page on Rumble. So you go to Rumble and you look up Dark Outpost from Tuesday. I think it was the 24th. Let me check my calendar. Yeah. So that was the 24th. And uh, I'm in the, in the two hour and six minute mark. And they didn't have time for my thumbnail. That's why you don't see my, you know, outrageous picture, you know, on their, on their screen. But I'm there. I'm there. You go to the two hour and six mark. And I really had a good time walking them through the entire website. We walked through bills. We, we showed how to do a bill, you know, how to write one. They had my, my website directly on their screen. So that's a real how-to of how to do what we do here. So go to Rumble and then Dark Outpost. And uh, it's with David and, and Penny. And you'll be able to, uh, and then you go to click on the, on the episode from Tuesday the 24th, and then go to the two hour. And well, the other people you listen to, I'm, I'm, I'm you're sure are good also. My problem is I don't have time to listen to other people. So I really kind of just, I got my own show to do, and it keeps me busy. So all you wonderful folks that are sending me all these videos, uh, it's really nice of you, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> this is a 15 hour a day job, and that includes weekends. And I love it, but uh, it just doesn't allow a lot of time uh, to watch other stuff. So I'm hoping you watch my stuff. You know, he said with a grin. So let's let's think about uh, let's think about our country, and let's think about what's going on. And you know, the the uh, let, let's get over the it can't happen here thing. Okay. So the first thing you have to do is get over it can't happen here, because anything that can happen anywhere else can happen here. I've always known that. I've known that since I was a little kid. 
uh, again, I was talking about this Monday. I've never grown up in a safe environment. You know, my family was not safe. Certainly not. I mean, physically, yeah. I mean, food, shelter, and all that kind of stuff. I was fine there, uh, which is, you know, better than most people. But emotionally, you know, uh, self-esteem-wise, you know, uh, spiritually, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, I guess, you know, self-image, no. <laughs> it was an incredibly unsafe place to be. Confidence. You know, security, yeah, none of that stuff. So I've always, so I've always been in an unsafe environment. You know, I, I went in three different countries. Well, that's not safe because every country has different rules. And even though they all speak English, you know, the difference between Canada, Australia, and the United States, from a Canadian public school to an Australian private school to an American junior high uh, public school, radical changes, radical, you know, with no warning, no preparation, no nothing. So I'm not used to a safe environment. So I don't mind it not being safe. I'm, I'm, that's actually kind of my condition. Um, so because of that, I understand and understand at a very, very early age that there is no real security, that there is no real safety, that the only real safety you have is what you present for yourself and what you do for yourself and what you can create, uh, in this case, with Action Radio, you know, for, the, for, for everybody else and for the country. And so we band together to, to, because it can happen here, not only can it happen here, it already has happened here. You know, and so, but the question is, how far back does this go? And I'm thinking, you know, probably the, the, the first big decline was, you know, 1803 with Marbury versus Madison, when the Supreme Court ceased being a court and became its own independent um, legislature, executive, you know, what would they say, judge, jury, and executioner, except they weren't executing people, but uh, they were executing laws. <laughs> they were executing uh, um, decisions, you know, uh, regulations, policies, things like that. They've been doing it ever since. So they gave themselves a the power they, weren't, they were never intended to have, and they've been allowed to keep it by a, by a surrendering Congress and, a, and surrendering executives. I'm not sure why. We'll talk about that. That would be a great Christina Bob question on her second show with us as to why it is that the court has been allowed to completely exceed all of their authority. Uh, the next big thing is 1913. And 1913s, well, I guess the Civil War is the next big thing. Uh, but in terms of losing the country completely, and I, I don't have time to go into all the Civil War issues. But 1913, the Federal Reserve Act, uh, the income tax, and the uh, taking away of, of senators from the states, you know, um, in, in a move to democracy, which is specifically prohibited by the Constitution in Article 4, Section 4, where we talk about the, uh, the, the states are guaranteed by the federal government a Republican form of government. Well, that means the separation of powers. That means federalism. That means in the case of the United States, as the Constitution was originally set up, the House is elected by the people. The senators are elected by their individual state legislatures. And the president is elected by all the states through an electoral college. That's a separation of powers. That's federalism. That, that's what defines a republic, you know, as well as a constitution to limit uh, the powers of government specifically and also a uh, uh, well, um, and, and the Bill of Rights to, to you know, define our individual rights with the things the government cannot touch, um, you know, certainly before you use them, during or, or even after. And so that's, that's what it is. And anyway, so I've been looking at some of the things that, have, that it, uh, have been going on. Roger Stone's been doing some fascinating things. And so the question comes up, for some reason, and I'm not sure why, but for some reason, Watergate. Watergate's popping up again, all right? And I'm thinking, well, that was, that, you know, was that a deep state operation? Well, it turns out the CIA, it looks like, had a big hand in Watergate. And we'll talk at some point, you know, I got to do more research as far as, you know, did the CIA, uh, are they either part of or, or the, the cause of the assassination of, uh, of JFK? That's going to be interesting. And, and, you know, how many other plots against other presidents? So the, the presidents that have caused the most problems for the deep state, John Kennedy, uh, Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump, and so Kennedy they assassinated. But who, who's they? You know, and there's a lot of things that are coming out now. It's funny how the, the you know the truth 
the truth is out there, but it takes a while to, to kind of surface because so many people are, are not interested in the truth. And, and so that's why this is, but, but think about the parallels. And this is, this is another Christina Bob question for, uh, for a future show. Think of the parallels between Watergate, you know, the, the getting rid of Nixon. Nixon was amazingly popular, but they got rid of him. Why? Well, because, you, you, you know, as we all thought Nixon, well, Nixon's a terrible president. We have to get rid of Nixon. He's, well, how terrible was he? I'm, I'm, I'm going to take another look at this and think to myself, huh, was he gotten rid of by the deep state? You know, did, did he not do what they wanted him to do? In other words, you know, continue the war in Vietnam, for example. Uh, and was that the same thing that happened with uh, John Kennedy, uh, who was not escalating the way Johnson did? So Johnson escalated the war. Right, so all these things I think about, right? And so the, I've got a bunch of stuff from Roger Stone. I've got some different things here. Well, let's just, I'm just going to kind of randomly go through these articles. And so the first one, Stone with Roger Stone. So Roger Stone has his own substack, which I do too. And I have to uh, do another article probably today and then maybe one this week. I should do like three a week. I'll, I'll try and uh, try, you know, <laughs> like I don't have enough to do, right? Uh, so the first one, this is from uh, Stone Cold Truth with Roger Stone. It's a substack. And it says, shocking new Watergate-era tape reveals Nixon threatened to reveal the CIA's involvement in the Kennedy assassination. That's what he says right here. Nixon threatened to reveal the CIA's involvement in the Kennedy assassination. He says, a stunning, long-overlooked Nixon-Watergate-era tape shows Richard Nixon warning CIA Director Richard Helms that he knows of CIA involvement in the murder of John F. Kennedy. And the quote is, I know who shot John. Okay, great. <laughs> How come that's not in the history books? You know, I, you know uh, who is it? You know, I mean, we, we know who, who Deep Throat is, the, the informant uh, that Carl uh, Bernstein and Bob Woodward were talking to. You know, but who, who shot John? I mean, why, would, why wouldn't that be the, the most important? That would be the story of the century. And, and, it, and it's coming out now in 2023. And this happened in 1963 or 64. I'm not sure. I think it was 64. All right. I'm sorry. I haven't looked up the date. But uh, from then till now, that's a long time. And now we're finding out about this. It's fascinating. Article goes on. This shocking new tape depicts Nixon. This is a tape. Okay, so this is Nixon recorded tapes. This is what brought him down. But I'm wondering if it uh, actually caused the CIA to want to get rid of him. And who else did it cause? You know, those 17 intelligence agencies. We went over who they all were in a previous show. Anyway, it says the shocking new tape depicts Nixon increasingly besieged by Watergate, but unaware that at least four of the Watergate burglars were still on the CIA payroll. Well, isn't that fascinating? Now, what does that sound like? Does that sound like Antifa, Black Lives Matter, uh, Ray Epps, uh, who knows who else imported from, you know, um, what do they call them, uh, mercenaries, <laughs> you know, mercenaries from around the world that, that took part in the, uh, uh, the Capitol Hill Invitational Walk-In January 6th? This sounds really familiar. <laughs> you know, in fact, how many CIA people were involved in the Capitol Hill Invitational Walk-In? And I, I tell Christine about that. that uh, that's what I call it. And we have a lot of names for her. I might even tell her about the, you know, what we call rhinos, you know, transgender Democrats, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, so, so the article, so Roger Stone says, you know, the shocking new tape depicts Nixon increasingly besieged by Watergate, but unaware that at least four of the Watergate burglars were still on the CIA payroll at the time of the break-in. So this makes sense. So if you remember, whenever the, the FBI, CIA, maybe they're the same organization, I don't know, but whenever they want to infiltrate, quote, a militia group, and they want to arrest them all, what they'll do is they'll send in an operative uh, to, to tell everybody that, to encourage them to blow things up and to make illegal rifles by shortening the barrels and all kinds of other illegal things so they can be arrested. It's called entrapment. So they encourage people. Entrapment is when you encourage people to, do, to break a law that they wouldn't normally break on their own. 
you know, and so militia groups, if you look at some of the militia groups, and I've researched some of them, you know, militia of Montana, militia of Michigan, you know, California militia folks while I was there in California, you know, basically they, they, they like to train, they like to teach the Constitution, they like to be aware of things, they're really, really good with guns. And, you know, if the worst comes to worst, if, uh, you know, if the tyranny uh, hits, you know, they want to be ready for it. Okay, that makes sense. That, that just, that's what and the Second Amendment actually compels that. A well-regulated militia, in other words, a citizen, you know, group of, uh, of uh, armed people, you know, is necessary for the security of a free state. Our own Constitution, our own Bill of Rights says that militias are necessary. Citizen militias, non-government militias, non-government uh, groups, organized groups of armed citizens is necessary for the security of our, of our, of our free state. You know, and that state could be a geographic state, you know, like Florida. Or it could be a conditional state. In other words, the state of freedom, you know, like, uh, like cold is a state. It's, it's a condition of being, okay? So a condition of being free. I mean, it's a, everybody looks at the Second Amendment, and they say, you know, well, it's a well-regulated militia. In other words, the National Guard. You know, don't give me a break, right? Give, you know. Anyway, so what it really says is a well-regulated militia, in other words, an organized group of citizens in military fashion, right, is necessary to the security of a free state. Okay, now is that state, you know, a condition? Or is it a geographic, you know, entity? They don't say. And I don't think anybody's ever asked that question except me. <laughs> but that's what I wonder about. So to me, you know, the founders are saying it's necessary for citizens to form militias to maintain our freedom. And in order to form militias, you have to have arms. And because it's necessary to have arms and it's necessary to form militias, the right of the people to keep and bear arms can't be touched. That's what it's all about. Make sense? Back to the article. So then it's so, so it's, it makes sense to me that as the, uh, the FBI, CIA intelligence folks, the, uh, the agent provocateurs, as it were, that uh, infiltrate all kinds of groups and try and cause them to break the law by blowing things up, making illegal firearms, um, you know, and then have them all arrested, it makes perfect sense that the CIA would, would uh, have Watergate burglars that were CIA payroll. This is, this is a deep state. So how far back does this go? Kind of interesting, right? We're going to talk more about that. I can do more research. This is quite interesting. All right. So then it says, and the CIA had thus infiltrated the burglary team. Recently declassified documents. See, the story is just coming out, right? Do you believe it? We're still finding out about Watergate. Recently declassified documents reveal that Watergate Special Prosecutor Nick Ackerman, that's A-K-E-R-M-A-N, was aware of both CIA's advanced knowledge and involvement in the break-in, but said and did nothing. Well, of course, he was probably told to. You know, do nothing, you know, and there, and it gets more interesting. Senator Howard Baker. Okay. So I remember this. So I got to the country in, in August um, of 72, you know, the boat landed in New York. I'm an off the boat. Immigrant. I'm literally an off the boat immigrant. Okay. You know, just like Ellis Island, except it was, it was this dirty little dock in somewhere, in, you know, off the East river. <laughs> it was nowhere near as special as, uh, uh, as Ellis Island, you know, or as, as, you know, as, as quarantining as Ellis Island either. Anyway, so I landed, the boat landed and off we went. And, uh, you know, I was in the United States. Hmm. I'm thinking, this is different, <laughs> you know, landing in New York. Anyway, um, so, so um, I don't even know how I got onto that. Uh, I, I do digress. Anyway, so, so oh, yeah, I know what I was talking about. So I got to this country shortly after the Watergate break-in, like two months later. So the break-in was in June. I get here in August. So my first introduction to the United States is, A, we're at war in Vietnam, and B, you know, the, the president's already in a scandal. And I'm thinking, hmm. This is an interesting country my parents brought me to. Now what? <laughs> All right. So back to the article. Senator Howard Baker, the Republican leader on the Senate Watergate Committee, and his counsel, Fred Thompson, yeah, the actor, that one, right, 
uh, future U.S. senator from Tennessee, like Baker, stumbled on the CIA's deep, advanced knowledge and direct involvement in the Watergate break-in. Baker, and I remember Howard Baker. Howard Baker's a good guy. Uh, Teddy, uh, he was a Republican leader of the Senate, right? He said uh, Baker and Thompson, well, the article says Baker and Thompson both knew that at least four of the Watergate burglars were on the CIA payroll at the time of the break-in and that through creep, <laughs> that's the, the committee to re-elect the president. What a great name for, for an organization, creep. <laughs> that's what they call it. It was great, right? Committee to re-elect the president. Uh, to be nice, they called the committee to re-elect. If you watch uh, all the president's men with Dustin Hoffman and uh, um, Robert Redford, it's actually a really good movie. Back when Hollywood made good movies, and back when the Washington Post was actually a newspaper, you know, as opposed to uh, you know the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party, but uh, they were a good paper back then. I mean, you could read them and actually get real stories against the government, <laughs> as opposed to now where it's just a mouthpiece. Anyway, so the creep, Secretary uh, Security Director James McCord, I've heard that name before because I've kind of studied Watergate. Anyway, it says, it says Director James McCord had infiltrated the burglary team. Senate Watergate Committee Chairman Sam Irvin, I'm just an old country lawyer from uh, somewhere down south. Yeah, Sam Irvin, interesting guy. He said he's Sam Irvin, Chairman, so he's a Democrat, right? So Senate Watergate Committee Chairman, Democrat, they forget that part. Sam Irvin refused to allow Baker and the committee Republicans, including Edward J. Gurney of Florida, the right to publish a minority report, which noted this stunning information regarding the CIA. So just like the, um, the, the Kennedy assassination report, uh, the, the, uh, who was that? Um, the, the, the Supreme court, uh, you know, judge at the time, the, uh, the chief judge, I don't say justice because the constitution doesn't say justice. Constitution says judge Supreme court judges. Warren, was it uh, Earl Warren? Is it the Warren Commission? I think it's the Warren Commission. Okay, so you know, my head's a little jambled. But when I talk about things that I, I hadn't, no, I, you know, not intended, which is, you know, the whole hour today, <laughs> you know, I just kind of ramble. All right, so, so the Warren Commission, um, the Warren Report on JFK, you know, didn't have a minority report. It should have, okay? The same way the Watergate Report should have had a minority report, should have had the dissenting opinions say, this is, this is crap. This is not what happened. You know, but that's not how it goes, unfortunately. But apparently, there either there was or there should have been a minority report. And it says, uh, it says and this is what they, they talk about here: committee Republicans, including uh, Edward J. Gurney of Florida, the right to publish a minority report, which noted this stunning information regarding the CIA. Well, why wasn't it published? Well, seventeen intelligence agencies are out to get you, according to uh, Schumer. You know, Chucky Schumer, excuse me. The article says Nixon deeply distrusted the CIA because he knew that President Eisenhower had ordered the agency to give top secret briefings to both Nixon and Kennedy after both were the certain nominees of their parties. Now, I don't know if that goes on today or not, but it's kind of interesting. Why would somebody who is a candidate for president get national security briefings? Just curious. The same as the current president. That doesn't make sense to me because until you take the oath of office, you're not accountable. And if you're not accountable, you shouldn't be getting the briefing. That's just my knowledge of it. But uh, I'm not sure what, uh, what actually happens. Anyway, uh, article says Nixon was sore that Kennedy utilized the information in their debates attacking uh, – um, this is attacking uh, Nixon for being, quote, soft on communist Cuba, knowing full well that Nixon had chaired a working group as vice president overseeing preparations for the Bay of Pigs invasion. That's the one that almost sunk the Kennedy administration, by the way. Nixon, of course, could not reveal this. Um, upcoming attempt to topple Castro in the details. So to sum up, Eisenhower is briefing both Kennedy and Nixon with national security issues. Kennedy uses that information against Nixon in a public debate, putting Nixon in a position where he can't respond because to do so would reveal <laughs> classified information. Sound familiar? 
<laughs> then he says White House Domestic Policy Chief John Ehrlichman, oh, I remember him, wrote that when he served as the White House legal counsel, Nixon ordered him to request the CIA hand over all documents pertaining to John Kennedy's murder. This is really interesting. So no wonder they arrested Roger Stone. He knows too much, right? Then it says Nixon was furious when Richard Helms, the CIA director, refused his presidential order to hand them over. See, Richard Helms should have been immediately fired. Or, or Nixon should have sent him to Congress and say, wait a minute, this guy's got information on the CIA. He's not revealing it to me. Why don't you put him on the stand and see what happens? That's what he should have done. Uh, he didn't. Who knows why? Anyway, uh, Roger Stone says, this stunning new Watergate-era tape captures an increasingly besieged Nixon desperately seeking to mobilize the CIA in his defense by threatening to expose their greatest secrets. Nixon also knew that Congressman Gerald Ford, oh, there we go, as a member of the Warren, as the Warren Commission, I was right, okay, Warren Commission had the explicit direction of J. Edgar, oh, had at the explicit direction of J. Edgar Hoover, the FBI director, altered the official autopsy diagram for President John F. Kennedy, moving the marking from a bullet in his upper back to his neck in order to accommodate the single bullet theory and to conceal the fact that Kennedy had been hit with more than the reported three shots. That is staggering. Who knew that about Gerald Ford? Okay, so this is how, this is how bad it gets. Gerald Ford, you, know, you thought he was that nice guy? You know, the guy that played center, you know, for Michigan uh, State or University of Michigan? I'm sorry, Michigan, I don't know which one, okay? You know, the, the, the nice, kindly guy that pardoned, he pardoned Nixon. Now, did he pardon Nixon to shut him up? <laughs> now I'm thinking, you know, that uh, we all thought, well, that's crazy. We, 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 Nixon's the bad guy. We've got to get him prosecuted. Well, if Nixon was prosecuted in open court, he could, he could put all this evidence out there. But if, if he's pardoned, there is no trial. So he doesn't get the public forum to do it, and he just goes quietly away. This is getting interesting. Now, look at everything that happened to Donald Trump. What's the difference? You've got a deep state. You've got a coup. They overthrew. They overthrew. So, so you can look at Nixon. You know, the second term of Nixon is actually a coup. Watergate could be a coup. I never thought about that. This is a great Christina Bob question. You know, was Watergate a coup? Let me write that down. God, I got so many questions for her. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've got, oh, boy, you know, where do I begin? Uh, uh, I'll just put it in here somewhere. Uh, yeah, I got you. I, I want to. I'm going to stick with uh, with uh, January 6th for a lot of what we're going to talk about today. So this bit was uh, Watergate, a coup to get rid of Nixon. Just stick around, Alaska. Okay, it's in. The, I wrote Nazan. <laughs> you try writing around a microphone. It's not easy. Nixon, M-I-X-O, there we go, okay, fine. Save that, back to the show. Don't hit the wrong button, Greg. Here we go, okay. Yep, nobody's calling in. Um, yeah, let me, let me check, uh, check live chat, see if anybody else is, is following all this excitement today. Nope, nobody yet. Okay, fine. <laughs> we usually don't get a lot of live chat, you know, so the people, the people who are live uh, are listening. They don't, they don't want to chat, they're listening. And the people that uh, at, listen to the podcast, they can't live chat. <laughs> so anyway. We don't get a lot. Of, we can get more live chat soon, I'm sure. Yeah, if um, Christina Bob takes uh, the news and the knowledge of Action Radio and our legislation uh, back to President Trump and, and, you know, my plan of plans, and, you know, my ultimate wish, you know, that Donald Trump endorses Action Radio and citizen legislation and we get 10 million listeners the next day, <laughs> things are going to get really interesting around here. All right. That's, that's my hope. We'll, we'll see what happens. Again, I try my best and I'm open to I'm open to everything. You know, whatever good fortune comes our way, I'm open to. You know, I've seen the other stuff, too, the other side, uh, the, um, the censorship, the, uh, the removal of accounts, the suspension of accounts, the canceling of, of Facebook groups. All the, I know the bad side of this. I, I'm, I'm, 
the good side could be incredible. So, you know, keep, keep your hopes up. Uh, don't get discouraged. And, uh, you know, don't, don't ever give up, as they say, because we're just getting started, folks. All right. So it gets more and more interesting. Then it says Nixon was acutely aware of Ford's act of treachery in concealing the truth about Kennedy's murder and the CIA's involvement in it. Well, let me talk about the magic bullet theory for a second. So this is, this is the, one of the great implausibles, the great, uh, you know, things of the, the Warren Commission that, and who was the Leonard, not Leonard, uh, Arlen Specter. Arlen Specter, senator from Pennsylvania for years and years, he was a Republican, uh, and then when he, he thought his interests would be better served as a Democrat, became a Democrat. And so it gets more and more interesting uh, as we go that this magic, I think Arlen Specter was the one who actually argued for the magic bullet. This magic bullet of, uh, you know, what's his name? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, Gene, no, there's somebody different. Who's, who's the guy up there? You know the guy I'm talking about. Uh, Ray something. Anyway, you know, the, the person that uh, allegedly, you know, assassinated uh, John Kennedy. Is it James Earl Ray? Maybe I'm thinking of anybody else. I, 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 I get my names wrong. I get anyway, so what happened was the magic bullet from this rifle uh, without a scope, you know, an Italian Carcano rifle, you know, from Lee Harvey Oswald. I'm sorry. There we go. <laughs> Somebody completely different. Uh, so Lee Harvey Oswald up there in the, the Texas Book Depository, somehow and if you watch Oliver Stone's film, it's really kind of cool the way he depicts it because, uh, you know, he says he does it by, by timeline and frame from the Zabruder film. So this guy Zabruder had this whole movie camera captured the entire assassination. And that film gets whisked away. You see parts of it. I don't ever see the whole thing or you see it frame by frame. But I think Oliver Stone got it and did it frame by frame. And so, it, but so the idea that, uh, you know, this, this one guy, Lee Harvey Oswald, from uh, whatever floor he was on, in the Texas book depository could hit a moving target with a rifle without a scope, you know, and have the magic bullet do what it did uh, is beyond, you know, uh, comprehension is beyond the beyond reality. In other words, no, it, it didn't happen that way. And to expect us to believe that is, is totally insane. So this magic bullet, one of the bullets, I'm not sure which one, you know, did, uh, you know, entered uh, Kennedy and I'm not going to give you all the details, but it, apparently it wandered around his body and, you know, hit his brain, all kinds of other things. So, and then went out of Kennedy, and then it went into John Connolly, you know, the, the Texas uh, senator at the time, uh, or governor, and all these different things happened. This is the magic bullet made this amazing pathway, okay? That's impossible, too. So none of the story makes sense, but that's what they, they portrayed. And so that's, uh, but if, if Gerald Ford, I never knew that until just, you know, the other day here, reading this, that Gerald Ford actually moved, <laughs> you know, that's a crime. Gerald Ford moved the, the autopsy, moved the bullet, no, I didn't hit here. It hit over here. Why? Well, because it fits our theory. <laughs> that, that, that's like, um, that's like uh, you know, not doing autopsies on, on COVID shot victims because you don't want the evidence out there. Deep state. It's all deep state. It's fascinating. Anyway, so then it says Nixon was acutely aware of Ford's act of treachery and concealing the truth about Kennedy's murder and the CIA's involvement in it. White House Chief of Staff General Alexander Haig, he's the one that said, I'm in charge, you know, when I forgot who was uh, in the hospital. I think it was Gerald was in the hospital. Uh, within a, with one of the assassination attempts against him. And Hague immediately, immediately said, I'm the president, I'm in charge. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, Secretary of State's like fourth on the list. First is vice president, and that's even, and the president's still in charge in the hospital, unless the president's incapacitated. I don't think Gerald Ford ever was. Anyway, Nick, uh, Alexander Haig said you know, he was in charge. Anyway, that's what he's famous for. So White House Chief of Staff Alexander Haig told me, that's Roger Stone, in an interview that Nixon had Ford by the balls. Interesting quote. The five-star general said, and that's Haig, Nixon had me tell Ford that he, Nixon, was going down. He was taking everybody with him. Oh, well, see, that's not what happened, though. Nixon, 
went down, as they say. You know, Nixon was disgraced. Nixon resigned. And Nixon, well, why did he resign? I mean, who threatened him? So that raises another question. You know, was Nixon threatened? You know, and was he said, okay, you're going to accept this pardon. You're going to disappear, and you're not going to raise this issue again. You know, we know what you know. Shut the hell up. So Nixon really know. And did he write a secret mem- memoir? You know, is there evidence out there somewhere, you know, waiting to be released by, by uh, a Nixon descendant? You know, they had kids, and I'm sure their kids had kids, and maybe those kids have kids by now. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just speculating, but I just find this all quite fascinating. Let's take another conspiracy while we're at it. Seth Rich, and this is from Citizen News, January 15th from uh, Citizen Wells. Seth Rich, FOI case, that's Freedom of Information Act case, update January 14th, 2023. Huddleston v. FBI, and so the quote is, FBI has finally admitted that Seth Rich is directly linked to the, quote, hack of the Democrat National Committee's email servers in 2016. So what was Seth Rich's crime? Seth Rich's crime? Why was he murdered? I don't believe he was killed in a robbery. He was murdered. Uh, apparently, he's the one that, uh, I guess, either sent out all the emails or made those emails public. He's like uh, uh, Snowden. Snowden, who warned of the deep state and had to uh, you know, just send out thousands, thousands of documents like Julian Assange. He's now living in Russia, fear for his life. So he does a public service to tell us what our deep state is doing. The deep state wants to kill him. So he goes to Russia. It's fascinating. And you don't think the deep state's been around for a while? I'm thinking it's been around since probably the creation of the FBI. You know, early 1900s is when things got bad. 1913, you know, right before World War I, Woodrow Wilson, I believe, was the start of the, 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 the modern deep state. You know, the initial deep state was the Supreme Court. And in the 1800s, the next deep state uh, would have been the Confederacy. And then the third deep state was the 1900s, the, the, the current deep state that we're in now. Uh, anybody wants to challenge that timeline, feel free. I got time. You know, I can talk about it. So Citizen Wells uh, of the Citizen News of Substack from January 15th says, Seth Rich, FOI case, update January 14th, Huddleston of the FBI, da, da, da. Okay, so let's get to the news. Is now comes Brian, Brian Huddleston, the plaintiff, replying in support of plaintiff's motion for clarification of the memorandum opinion and order entered September 29th, 2022, here and after the motion to clarify. It says, as the name indicates, defendant's FBI combined reply response to uh, pending briefing response, briefing regarding Seth Rich's laptop. And where have we heard laptops before, right? Seth Rich's laptop here and, here and after da, 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 merges two separate issues, namely the releasability of documents from Seth Rich's personal laptop and two, Seth Rich's work laptop. In order to avoid confusion and expedite matters, the plaintiff will address only the work laptop uh, and related documents in that response. This is, as indicated in the motion to clarify, the existence of Seth Rich's work laptop has been known to Mr. Huddleston for some time, and Mr. Huddleston fully expected that laptop, like almost every, any other laptop, to contain information of some kind. The real surprises are as follows. This is after years of denials. Now, I'm not going to get too much in the weeds here. Very long article. Let me just detail a couple of things, and then we can uh, take a break and move on. This is after years of details, the FBI has finally admitted that Seth Rich is directly linked to the hack of the Democrat National Committee email service in 2016. Interesting. The FBI has, in pos- has been in possession of a report about Seth Rich's work laptop for nearly five years. Yet, purportedly, it did not discover that report until after Mr. Huddleston filed his motion to clarify. The, F- the third point, the FBI had yet another technique here into her f- heretofore undisclosed for hiding records from FOIA requesters. 
So in other words, it says the second revelation is particularly noteworthy. The existence of a forensic report on the contents of Seth Rich's work laptop has been something of a holy grail among those who question the official narrative about Seth Rich and his possible involvement in leaking DNC, that's Democrat National Committee, emails to WikiLeaks. So in other words, he's, he's one of the good guys, right? So renowned journalist uh, Cy Hirsch first discovered his knowledge uh, of the report in early 2017. Uh, see Rusty Weiss, journal. Okay. Uh, he gets really into the weeds here. And then the Fox News scandal surrounding the reporting on Seth Rich that culminated, culminated in a public re, uh, retraction of its Seth Rich story was based on the network's you know, inability to satisfy journalistic standards you know, that the report was real. Okay. That's what they say. That's what they said about um, uh, who was it? When Trump said to, to, the, to the, the 60 Minutes reporter, I forgot her name. You know, well, the election was stolen. Well, that's not real. You can't report that. You can't say that. You know, we, we have to verify. Okay, yeah, we'll go ahead, verify. <laughs> and, and that brings us to Christina Bob and her book, Stealing Your Vote. Okay, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, in, the, uh, in the second hour here. So I got a little bit of time. I'm going to take a break now. Who knows what, <laughs> you know, who knows when I'll get a chance again. But that's basically what's going on. So you've got Seth Rich. Uh, you've got that story going. All right, that's, that's not coming to light. Uh, Edward Snowden, we haven't heard from him for a while, but that's another story that we need to talk about. Probably Julian Assange, too. And now we're getting from Roger Stone all these details about Watergate. And Nixon, you know, either thought that the C- he, either this, Nixon knew that the CIA was involved in Watergate because they wanted to get rid of him. Maybe is it because that uh, Nixon knew who killed Kennedy? I wouldn't be surprised if he did know. He was president of the United States. You know, they're supposed to know everything. They, 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 you know, they get the, the ultimate security clearance. But uh, did the CIA get rid of him because of Nixon's policies? That Nixon actually might have been America first. Now, he did some stupid things like, you know, authorize the EPA and sign the bill for that. You know, everybody has their, their you know, <laughs> that should have been a state office, not a federal. Uh, you know, everybody makes mistakes. You know, Donald Trump made mistakes. You know, I, I, I've questioned his COVID policy since the beginning. I think that was, he made some horrible mistakes there. I understand why he did it. He thought he was doing the right thing. So uh, I don't fault him for, for having his heart in the right place. I fault him for... Uh, and everybody else for not giving him the truth. And uh, so that's, that's a big problem there. Anyway, so all these things, let me see if I've got another one here. Uh, so here we go. So the last one, so, okay, so did the CIA engineer Watergate to get rid of Nixon? Well, let's take that one too. I might as well. I'm kind of on a roll here. <laughs> and this is in PJ Media, uh, and this is by uh, Robert Spencer, who won the show two days ago. Uh, so uh, Robert Spencer in a rather improv interview. So, so go to Jihad Watch if you want more details on this. So it says, okay, so did the CIA engineer Watergate to get rid of Nixon? And again, this is from January 24th. So this is two, did he write that the day he was on? Yeah, I guess he did. <laughs> yeah, had I known. <laughs> had I known, but I, would have, I might have uh, you know, asked him about it. Then he'll, he'll be back. Robert Spence is one of the good guys. So he says, Tucker Carlson made some explosive assertions Friday, suggesting that the CIA and the FBI brought down Richard Nixon because he was on to their efforts to undermine the American system as the founding fathers had intended it to run and knew that the CIA was involved in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Carlson's segment quickly became wildly, wildly controversial, but is it true? And I got a little link to that. I'll take a look at it in a bit after the show. <laughs> it says, but is it true? It says, we may never know for sure. And that in itself demonstrates yet again the need to demand and enforce complete transparency and accountability from these agencies that all too easily can go rogue. What do you mean can? Have gone rogue. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's not so much a police state I worry about as an intelligence state of a national security state. And that's the problem. You know, it, it's like if uh, the KGB, you know, the FBI, CIA, KGB, it's like they're all the same thing. That's what it looks like. 
Carlson said Richard Nixon was reelected in 1972 by the largest margin of the popular vote ever recorded before or since. Isn't that interesting? Nixon was, was uh, more popular in his day than Trump. Think about that. So Nixon got 17 million more votes than his opponent. Less than two years later, he was gone. He was forced to resign, and in his place, an obedient servant of the federal agencies called Gerald Ford took over the White House. And we know from the previous article, he altered the, uh, the, the assassination report, um, the autopsy report for the Warren Commission. Then it says Carlson uh, went on to explain that Nixon believed that elements in the federal bureaucracy were working to undermine the American system of government and had been doing that for a long time. I agree. He often said that, quote, he suggested that CIA and FBI operatives orchestrated both the Watergate break-in and the two-year-long firestorm that brought Nixon down. Well, if that, was that a prelude to January 6th and the coup? Well, there's a question for you. I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? That would be fascinating to find out. So according to Carlson, on June 23rd, 1972, Nixon met with the then CIA director Richard Helms, which we heard about from a previous article, at the White House. During the conversation, which thankfully was tape-recorded, see, Nixon, bless you for the tapes, and Nixon, nice job. So Nixon suggested he knew who shot John, meaning President John F. Kennedy. Nixon further implied that the CIA was directly involved in Kennedy's assassination, which we now know it was. Okay? Now I don't know why. We're missing the why. Why was the CIA, why did the CIA want John Kennedy dead? I, I can only think Vietnam, foreign policy, letting the CIA do whatever they wanted, you know, the permanent war class, the military-industrial complex, the whole bit. And that's the only thing that comes to mind, right? So this is Helms is telling, this is, uh, okay, Helms telling response, total silence. But for Nixon, it didn't matter because it was already over. Four days before, on June 19th, the Washington Post had published the first of many stories about a break-in at the Watergate office building, which we now know had four employees of the CIA. Fascinating. So did they, so were those the agent provocateurs? Did so? Here's a question for you. All right, you know, all, all you you good conspiracy realists. This is what I, I'm conspiracy realist. I deal in real conspiracies. You know, not 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 phony. You know, made up stuff. Right. So the real conspiracy. So we know the CIA was involved. We know the CIA had four employees. You know, in the Watergate burglars. Did those four CIA employees, you know, entrap the Nixon campaign by by doing a Watergate burglary that where they knew they were going to get caught. And that was part of the plan. The whole part of the plan was to bring Nixon down, and they did it by, um, by, by doing this, this bogus, horrible bur- I mean, burglary, second-rate, third-rate burglary. Nobody has said that was a good burglary. So they didn't even have good you – know, CIA has better thieves than that. They got secret stuff. They got secret agents. That's, our, that's their whole thing. Burglary is like you know, CIA 101, <laughs> okay? you know, espionage. You know, uh, things like that, secret, uh, secret agent stuff, you know, James Bond kind of stuff. That's what the CIA is supposed to do. Burglary? Breaking into an office? Yeah. Hell, I can find some, some gang member to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's easy. So, so then the question is, if the CIA did it on purpose, they entrapped the Nixon campaign into this bogus burglary, was the Washington Post the willing accomplices of the media to do it? So the Washington Post broke the story. And did, they, uh, did the CIA approach the Washington Post and say, we've got a scoop for you. You're not going to believe this. We're going to give you information. Which leads to the question, was Deep, was Deep Throat actually a CIA operative? Handing the Washington Post the information that they needed to write the, to write the stories to advance the Washington Post in breaking the whole uh, Watergate scandal to bring down Nixon, which is what the CIA and other intelligence agencies and the Deep State wanted all the time. Is, is, was the bringing down of Nixon a Deep State? operation that's my question 
Then the article says this doesn't add up to the CIA deciding to take out Nixon since the break-in and the Post story both happened before the president's conversation with Helms, unless Nixon had enunciated this before the break-in. Hmm. Says, and he had. Tucker Carlson actually got the date wrong. The Nixon-Helms conversation didn't take place on June 23rd, 1972, but on October 8th, 1971. It's further mislabeled on this audio file as taking place on October 10th, 1971, but the Nixon tape logs set the meeting on the 8th. Nixon said to Helms, uh, who shot John Kennedy? Uh, is Eisenhower to blame? Is Johnson to blame? Is Kennedy to blame? Is Nixon to blame? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This may become, as this may become not by me, but may become a very, very uh, vigorous issue. If it does, uh, this is from a tape, this is why I'm reading it, right? Uh, I need to know what is necessary to protect our inquiries, the intelligence gathering, and the dirty tricks department. <laughs> they had a dirty tricks department. Well, they, Nixon really did have a dirty tricks department. I mean, he's not, he's not completely innocent here. But, uh, you know, we need to know the truth. What is he guilty of and what is he innocent of and what did he know and what didn't he know? I mean, these are all questions we need to find out. And this is, and I will protect it. Hey, listen, I've done more than my share of lying to protect it. I will do it, and I believe it's totally right to do it. So I believe uh, Richard Nixon, you know, loved this country, believed in this country, and was willing to sacrifice for this country, Uh, and even lie for this country if that's what he thought was the right thing to do. I think most patriots, you know, if they're in a government position, you know, I mean, you know, keeping classified information classified is part of being, you know, a, a loyal person in the government. So the question is, you know, but loyal to who? Does it come to a point where you're not just loyal to the government, but you're, you're loyal to your deep state? Deep state is not loyal to the people or to the, to the Constitution or to our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, that they're only loyal to themselves. What you're bringing is about my claim that the federal government in Washington, D.C. has become its own nation. I call it the nation of government. I'm going to write this down in an article you know, sometime soon here. But the federal government in Washington, because they're not part of a state, they're an independent territory known as the District of Columbia. They have taken the District of Columbia and made it its own country. And what they've done from that country is taken all the tax money and all the revenue, and they've used the money from the states that they have stolen from the states in terms of taxes, you know, especially with the, the, uh, um, the income tax that uh, a lot of people say was never properly ratified. So they've taken the money, so they use the states as colonies. You know, so, they're, they're a, so, so Washington, D.C. is, in effect, a colonial government you know, using the states as their servants, as their labor force, uh, as their tax base. Uh, you know, so the, uh, Washington uses the states the way King George III you know, in the 1700s used the colonies, labor and tax and, you know, and revenue. Kind of interesting, huh? All right, 746? Turn the page here. <laughs> oh, let me write that down here. Seven forty-six. All right, so I'll put that on my other page. I need a fresh page. Um, ideally, if all works out well, Christina Bob will be here in about fourteen minutes, and we're going to talk about a lot of different things. So let's take a break now. I'll be back in just a little bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. 
You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The complete guide to flight instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio.
Okay, I'm back. We've got about 10 minutes before uh, one of our, our next uh, big interviews. And this has been, I'll tell you, this is part of the reason I got into, uh, into radio, um, is, be, is the ability to talk to people I would never have the chance to talk to otherwise. You know, how many people get a chance to, to meet, you know, on the air or anywhere? You know, Peter McCullough, Dr. McCullough, um, the, you know, uh, Peter Navarro. You know, senior advisor of the Trump administration, uh, Robert Spencer, Jihad Watch, just recently. Uh, also, some of the other folks we've had here, uh, uh, Wendy Rogers, you know, state senator from from Arizona, uh, and um, just you name it. <laughs> All these amazing uh, folks, David Stockman, you know, uh, Reagan's economic uh, uh, budget director. So this is this is incredible, and I love doing this. So I'm just going to kind of vamp here for a bit, <laughs> you know, before we get to, get going. Uh, I think there's there's just some amazing parallels. You know, with what's happened, um, you know, over the course of this country, you know, are we as free as we think we are? And I would say no. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? And so to me, the answer is citizen legislation. Uh, The idea that we, the people, give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries nullify the laws by which we do not consent. And so the second part, I don't always say, but uh, it should uh, it should be said more often. So I kind of have that for memory now. But uh, juries is, is a hugely ne- neglected part um, of our freedom. People think of jury duty. You know, uh, the, and there's one thing that's uh, sort of puzzled me for a while, that the two things that are required of citizenship that you can't do unless you're a citizen, you can, you can do pretty much everything as a permanent resident. You know, you have your constitutional rights. You've been admitted to the country legally. You're invited to stay. And the assumption is that you're going to become a U.S. citizen. That's the whole idea of permanent residence, the green card you know, uh, immigrant, immigration, that kind of stuff. Okay, now I'm talking about the illegals that, that Brandon's bringing in and all the illegals are here. I'm talking about legitimate, bona fide, permanent residents who are here on green cards with the assumption that after five years, you know, of, of uh, demonstrating, you know, good living, that they're going to be able to become citizens. That's the way it's supposed to work, okay? But the two things that, uh, that uh, people on green cards cannot do is vote and serve on juries. And I always thought it was interesting to serve on juries. I can understand voting. I mean, voting is, you know, a sacred right of citizenship that we only want citizens voting because, you know, the country's made up of citizens. Yeah, we've got guests. We've got people on tourist visas. We've got uh, things that various other people here for whatever reasons. Real migrants, you know, they come to work and then go home. That's what real migrants are. But citizenship is special. And the idea of voting is easy to understand. Well, only citizens can vote. That's just natural, right? You know, but the other one, juries. Now, why is it so important? that people be citizens in order to serve on juries. And if you think about it, this is, this is why I include juries so much. And, you know, well, I should include it more in what I talk about, because what can a juror do? Who is the highest official in a courtroom in the United States? The third branch of government, you know, not the legislature, you know, writes the laws, the, the executive administrates and enforces the laws uh, and the regulations and the judiciary basically regulates the other two. <laughs> That's what it's for. The judiciary handles cases. Uh, so forget this interpretation crap, because that's not true. So the judiciary handles cases that arise, you know, under the Constitution in law and equity. That's what the Supreme Court does and all the other courts down the way. So who's the highest? It's interesting the Supreme Court doesn't have a jury, but we actually have a bill to do that. We'll talk about that sometime, too. But the, the juror, who's supreme in, uh, in a court, unless it's a Supreme Court or an appellate court or things like that. But any case that has a jury, who's supreme, the judge or the jury? Do, 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 do. I'll make it easy for you. It's the jury. Well, why, Greg? Why is the jury supreme? I'll channel Rush Limbaugh. You know, why, Greg? Tell me why the jury is supreme to the judge. Everybody thinks the judge is supreme. No, of course not. And the reason is because the judge represents the government. The jury represents the people. And the only way that it can be true that the people are supreme to the government 
is that the juror is supreme to the judge. So why is the judge giving the jury instructions? Shouldn't the jury be giving the judge instructions? Think about that. How come the jury isn't sitting higher than the judge? How come the judge isn't wearing a, uh, uh, an umpire's uniform? You know, white and black stripes with a whistle on a clipboard. <laughs> you know, I throw out a flag. Throw out like a flag on the play. You know, objection. You know, yellow flag comes out from the judge. Right? That actually would make more sense. But the jury, you know, can the, you know, the judge, as far as I'm concerned, cannot instruct the jury. The jury gets the case. Well, the jury does what the jury does. They deliberate. Okay. Well, part of deliberating is, is giving the judge instructions. Yeah, we want to hear more about this. You know, uh, this wasn't quite done. You know, we need to, uh, you know, we need, I want to see the evidence again, yada, yada. Whatever was brought on the trial, the judge makes sure that the trial follows the, the rules of due process. That's what the judge's job. The judge's job is not to instruct the juries. They do it, of course, all the time. The judge's job is not to say to the juries that uh, you can only consider the facts, you can't consider the laws. That's a bunch of nonsense. Why would it be the most sacred duty uh, of, of citizenship why are, why are the two things that cannot be done unless you're a citizen is vote and serve on a jury if the jury position was not sacred, as sacred as the vote? And the reason it's as sacred as the vote is because when you're on a jury, you're representing the people. And non-citizens obviously cannot represent the people because what people do they represent? Their people from whatever country they're from, the country that has jurisdiction over them. So if, as the 14th Amendment said, you know, you know, you could, citizens uh, of the United States are citizens of the states, you know, if they're subject to the jurisdiction. I want to get the exact quote here, otherwise I'm going to screw this up. You know, this, this language is worked on by months and months by people that, you know, really work hard at language, you know, when they write these constitutional amendments. I've written a couple myself. It's kind of interesting. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof shall be citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. Okay. So who's subject to the jurisdiction thereof? Well, only U.S. citizens are subject to U.S. jurisdiction and have the power of the people over the government. So if you're, if you're a citizen of another country, you're subject to that country's jurisdiction. You're responsible to their courts, their juries, their people. You're not, you're not, you cannot serve on an American jury as a foreign national or as an illegal alien or as a permanent resident because you're not a citizen. You know, the jurisdiction of, illegal, uh, of immigrants is still their country of origin because they can be sent back. Yeah, they're permanent residents, but that's, that's conditional. That can be revoked. Just the citizenship, when, if, if you're a naturalized American, that citizenship can be revoked too. It's not that hard to do. Serving a foreign military, serving a foreign government, you know, denounce the United States, renounce your, citizen, you know, your citizenship status, whatever you want to do. It's easy to get your immigration, your permanent residence status canceled, and it's, it's not that difficult. To get your, um, if you've been naturalized as an American, that can be revoked too by, again, serving in a foreign military, serving in a foreign government, you know, things like that. So, which brings up Ilhan Omar. <laughs> That's another question. All right, got a couple minutes to go. Uh, in fact, it looks like we've got, um, yeah, I think I pretty much recognize this number. Looks like Diane. So, we're still waiting for, for Christina Bob to check in. Let me just check in with Diane uh, and uh, see how she's doing. Hi, did you want to listen in or, or did you have a question for uh, Christina when she calls? Good morning. No, no, I just wanted to hear the, the show. I had no questions. Okay. Well, just to <laughs> I encourage you. So I, I just threw it on because I'm like, oh, we're about to start. <laughs> Well, it is, yeah, and uh, I'm sure she, you know, I've been checking messages and just to see, uh, you know, I'm ready to go. I've got, to, I've got more than enough questions here. Let me just, uh, let me queue up my, um, do, 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 do. where am I going to get this from? You know, yeah. we're going to do the whole drum roll thing. We're going to have some fun here. <laughs> this is going to be good. Okay. Yeah, okay, so, I'm so that's ready to go. 
I'm just hmm? getting ready to go to my, my clay class. Oh, well, nice. I did have my clay class in Pennsylvania. Oh. Well, I, uh, I so... Listen on the way. Okay, so I'll just mute you then. You want me to, I, can, I can mute you now if you want, and you can just listen. Do you have a, uh, any questions? Um, you know, I'll try and get to your election integrity bill because I want to spend a little bit of time on what we do here at Action Radio. Well, if you only have 30 minutes with her, you probably won't have time, but maybe we can get a second with you with it, and then uh, we can tell her about our bill. She's here now. <laughs> so let me put you on, awesome. on mute. Awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. This is this is a this is a very special moment for for Action Radio here. So let me get my drum roll, please, as we announce our guest of the day. Scroll, 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 and uh, here we go. Christina Bob. So this comes from the website Biography, and it says Christina Bob is an American television personality, journalist, newscaster, attorney, and former executive, sec- uh, executive secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Before joining DHS, um, Christina Bob worked in the United States Marine Corps as a judge advocate and was stationed in Afghanistan and Virginia. I like to always say worked in the Marine Corps. That always cracked me up when, uh, when I first read that. Uh, Christina Bob, welcome to Action Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here, too. So let's give you a little cheer (laughs) for all the stuff you do. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So I am so excited to talk to you because I have questions that I've wanted to ask for, yeah. well, ever since, uh, ever since the November election, actually going back to 2018, because I think the, the Congress was stolen then, too, and we can talk about that. But I want to start with uh, the introduction by Steve Bannon. He's got some, some things here. He says some really nice right. things about you. This is your book, Stealing Your Vote, The Inside Story of the 2020 Election. And Steve Bannon says, Stealing Your Vote, this is the story of how a commander-in-chief was thwarted, a coup was carried out, and an illegitimate president was installed. It is not a novel of some or some other work of fiction. It is a first-person eyewitness account of a woman who saw her duty clearly, logically, and uncompromisingly to stop the steal, and in doing so, save the republic that she took an oath to defend as an officer in the United States Marine Corps. Stealing Your Vote focuses on two central themes in the destruction of America's elections. Radical Democrats who game the system with illegal ballots and gutless Republicans who are too intimidated to stop it. So, so let, let's start there with, with what I call Marxist Democrats and the gutless Republicans. Yeah. I, refer, I refer to the GOP as the gelding old party. That's what we call them here on Action Radio. Oh, so nice. you're, among, you're among friends. Yeah, tell me. Awesome. Well, you're exactly right. You actually, in a very quick time, you narrowed in on the theme of the book, the original title was actually going to be Cowardice and Corruption, you know, talking mm-hmm. about cowardice being the Republican Party and corruption being the Democrat Party. But we wanted, we decided to change it to make it more election focused so people mm-hmm. knew what was in the book. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. And, and looking at the Democrats, the way I like to describe it is, you know, I spent months and months on the ground in Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, all over the place, interviewing poll workers, interviewing elected officials, interviewing county clerks talking to everybody, trying to figure out what happened. And I got a pretty good idea of what took place. And admittedly, I don't have all of the answers. I still have probably more questions now than when I started. But I I take the pieces, I put the pieces together. And the the way I like to describe it is 
you can look at a puzzle that's missing a couple pieces and know what the picture is, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, yep. what I, that's what I think this book is, is. It will show you what happened and then give you ideas and, and examples of what other people have done in other communities. There's so many great patriots around this country that said, nope, I don't like what's happening. I'm going to get up and do something about it. And I hope that their stories inspire people to action because at the end of the day, it comes down to all of us getting involved. Well, we're all one big happy family of patriots. You know, uh, I'm hoping to connect our uh, our show here. And none of us are journalists. We're all advocates, by the way, uh, with the Trump campaign. I'll tell you a little bit, you know, if we have some time uh, later on. But uh, we actually write our own citizen legislation here. We have bills on, on vaccine wow. product liability. Oh, yeah. You're going to love what we do here. Yeah. Uh, and so if you have That's a quick chance great. to uh, – well, thank you to take down our email, my email, greg at writeyourlaws.com. That's our legislative website. Wow. Write is W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Yeah. yeah. So, we'll, so, so that way you can get in touch with me. I don't want to give your contact information over the air, but uh, that's my public right. email. And I'm going to give okay. out uh, – I'll send you bills and things we can talk later. But let's get to the book first, and then we'll get to uh, some of the stuff we do. Yeah. So I wrote, I wrote something down before – the um, before the show today, and I think uh, this is going to probably take a lot of our time here. I said in order to accomplish the coup, they had to stop the Trump electors from being considered. That meant stopping the challenges in the battleground states and previously having, and I call him traitor Mike Pence, purposely refused to send the dual slate of electors back to the states in case some of those states returned Trump electors. As insurance, they also had to stop the challenge in Congress January 6th, which meant interrupting and stopping the challenges starting with Arizona. But there was a problem because Donald Trump started his speech one hour late, which meant that the only people at the Capitol were the operatives, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, the FBI KGB agents, foreign mercenaries, and you know who knows who else. But they had to go in first to stop the Arizona challenge and all the other battleground states with Trump electors even though Trump supporters were still walking, you know, to the Capitol yep. building. And that's why we never yep. see the early videos of J6, only the later ones with the entire crowd assembled. And then I had the doors were opened in advance by the Capitol Hill police. And so began what we call here the Capitol Hill invitational walk-in. How am I doing? Yeah, that, you're exactly right. I mean, I don't know if you've had a chance to read my book yet, but I was at the oh, Capitol. Yeah, some I was of it. reporting from the Capitol. And yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you're right. I was there. I saw all of it. So you're, you're okay. telling my story. <laughs> well, fill in the gaps. What have, what have I missed? What, uh, what new has happened? What have you discovered? Because th- our audience is up on this. We, we've talked about this. I had two reporters yeah. there myself, um, Jonathan Mosley, our legal reporter, and Josie Cossi, our Latino reporter. We're both there on the ground calling us live from, you know, from the demonstration, from the, uh, you know, the support were they, of our constitution. And were they, mm-hmm. at the Capitol, were they at the Capitol before the chaos started? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I can, okay. I'll send you the show. Yeah. I'll send you the recording. Yeah. But I think they were there. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Go ahead. Okay. No, I'm sorry. But they were listening to speech. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what most people were doing. And so nobody was at the Capitol except for the people you're describing. I mm-hmm. was reporting from the Capitol, so I was there. You know, One America News had a handful of reporters kind of scattered around. I happened to be in the Cannon House office building. And there was nothing going on, despite AOC's claim that she feared for her life and she worried she'd never be a mother and blah, 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 blah. Legitimately, <laughs> nothing was happening. Funny. Yeah. So, like, when I heard that, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was, I was in canon. There was nothing going on. I, in fact, it was so boring. I couldn't even find members of Congress. Forget about Antifa or, you know, whoever they're claiming that is doing this. There was nobody there. There weren't even members of Congress there. So I left. I, I walked outside the Capitol. I went out onto the lawn 
to see. I told my videographer, I was like, let me stick my head outside and see if any of the protesters have showed up yet. Maybe we go mm-hmm. outside and start interviewing the protesters. So I step outside and there were, you know, there was a small crowd out there and I called him and I was like, Hey, why don't you come out? And he says, Oh, they're locking us all in the basement. They're making all Wait the, a minute, what time is this? the basement. This was, Oh gosh. It was before the speech was over. So sometime during the speech, maybe, I don't know, noonish. I, I don't know. The exact okay, this time, is new. Remember, but... This is new. So they were locking you in before the Trump supporters had even gotten there. That's more proof. This yeah. is prearranged. I mean, we know it's prearranged, but why would they lock yeah. you in before a protest? Great question. Very great question. And I'm actually, I'm so glad I left because I was minutes away from getting locked in the basement. They didn't let him out till like 11 o'clock that night. I mean, we still spoke with him. When he could get reception from the basement of Cannon, he'd be like, you know, what's going on out there? The poor guy, along with, you know, a dozen other news crews. Mm-hmm. They, just got, they just got locked in the basement. I don't know. I think that was the only, other than the Capitol itself, the Capitol building itself, I think that was the only building that actually did that. It's the only one I'm aware of. There may have been others, but I'm not aware of any other building locking the press in the basement. But it, it was, I don't know, it was a very bizarre thing. A very bizarre thing. I was working with Chanel Rion, you know, mm-hmm. our White House correspondent. Oh, I know. I have your whole crew at, at One American News. I'm, I'm fans <laughs> yeah, of all of you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks. She's awesome. She was at one of the Senate buildings. She might have been at heart. I don't remember where she was, but she was at one of the Senate buildings. And they were fine. They were live the whole day reporting. Like they had no issues there. They weren't required to lock down at all. So I don't know. I, I and I say this in the book. I have no idea why Cannon was like singled out to send the press crews to the basement, but they did. Huh? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question yeah. too. Now, did you see where the doors open um, to the Capitol? I mean, had the invitation? No, no, no. no. Uh, this the, was way before that. Okay. No, no, no. no. There so was the doors open? There was nothing. I didn't huh. even bother taking pictures of it. It was so it was so benign. So I walk out to the and like this is in the book. So right, I'm ruining you know the first half of the second chapter. But um, the well, don't, don't give away secrets I, if you I don't want out, to. You know, it's it's no, up to it's, you. No, that's fine. You might as well talk okay, about it. just checking. Um, give you the option. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of really good stuff in there. This is like four pages worth. But um, no, so I went out and I saw you know there were a couple there was a I. I I would call it a little bit of a disturbance, right? There was something mm-hmm. happening. I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, I don't know. There were dozens, maybe hundreds of police officers there. I didn't think much of it. I'm a United States Marine. I'm a judge advocate. I have trained troops in combat on the escalation of force procedures, how you want to keep force at a minimum, and the procedures that you have to go to in order to escalate to use more and more harmful force or mm-hmm. violent force. And the police officers didn't follow it. Like, I, I don't know the only reason I would think the police officers did not follow the escalation of force procedures was because they were ordered to stand down. I don't know why at the time I didn't know that it was so small. And so I just figured, I figured I was like, Oh, the cops are going to get it. It's not a big deal. I'm a reporter. I was out there looking for stories and I didn't bother to use that. I didn't (laughs) think it was worth it. And so I was like, once I realized my videographer got locked in the building, I was like, well, I'll just go over to, the Willard where I knew Rudy and other members of the legal team were, I was like, I'll go over there and maybe I can do like social media interviews with them. Cause I don't have a videographer. So I walked to the, to the Willard and that was the first time I heard that there was like, Oh, there's a riot at the Capitol. I was like, no, there's not. I, I walked there 10 minutes ago and I, they had the TV screens on. I could see, you know, all the smoke rates making it look like it was crazy. I'm telling you, it was not that it wasn't that until they created it. 
Well, that's the whole thing. And I've got a theory on that I want to get to in a bit. Um, what was your expectation, you know, of that day? Because as I understand it, uh, the folks were there, and I have friends there, like I said, you know, that were there that day, was that we were, they were supporting the challenges to the battleground states, that they wanted those yeah. challenges. They wanted the Trump electors. This wasn't an insur- – obviously, it wasn't an insurrection, but what I was saying was it wasn't even a protest. They weren't there to, to object to what was going on. They were there to support what was going on, and that narrative never gets out there. Well, I think yeah, – you're, you're right. And I think, like, as far as what I expected, I, I didn't have an expectation. My, the question that I had in my mind was, did Mike Pence have the integrity enough to send the electors back to the states for further review? Because mm-hmm. we had four states. We had Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Georgia had all mm-hmm. requested of Mike Pence, return their electors, let us reconsider and I was wondering, is he going to do it or not? I, I at that point, I I figured he probably wouldn't, because he is what he is, and you know, you can read the whole story about everything that led up to that in the book. But um, you know, that that was the question in my mind: like, is he going to send the electors back or not? The whole riot, obviously, the riot thing was not even on the radar. Well, let's talk about Mike Pence for a bit, because I call him the only person on a major presidential ticket to steal his own election for the other side. You're right. You are okay. so way to describe it. I have never thought of it like that, but that is yeah, a well, great thank you. way I to describe it. I have my moments it. here. Yeah, this yeah. is stuff we talk about. So join us anytime. You're always welcome back on the show. Listen in. We, we uh, This to. is a unique. Thank you. This is a very unique show. But this is my question. Is, is Mike Pence, you know, there's, there's two views. One, he was just doing what he thought best under the circumstances. Or two, my contention that he made the Faustian bargain. He made the, the, the mafia make your bones, you know, the deal with the devil that says that he will stop yeah. Trump from, from winning the election so that the deep state will make him the Republican nominee in 2024. That's what I think is going on. Right. I think it's a little bit in between that. I don't think okay. Mike Pence is that nefarious. I, I really don't. Um, I think the Republican Party has become so cowardly, and okay. we, we have created a culture of cowards. We've created a culture of politicians that know they go along to get along. Don't rock the boat. Ensure the status quo. You'll be fine. You'll be reelected. Just don't make any crazy changes. Let the Democrats do whatever they want because they're psycho, and then we're just going to stick to our guns on the fact that we all get to keep our seats. Like, I just think that's the culture of Republicans that we've created today. Okay. So I think you're right. I would agree with, like, 90% of the way you described it. I just don't think he was being nefarious. I think he was hedging his bets, I would describe it that way, as, you know, are are we going to be able to – like, are the MAGA patriots going to be able to have this, you know, whole uh, revival of conservative values, or is – he probably wouldn't think of it as a swamp, but or is the swamp going to win this? And I think he thought the swamp's going to win. So I'm just going to side with them. That's okay. So this is what I wanted to ask you that because I see him are, as little, yeah. yeah. No, that's 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 encouraging because I see him as next in line between uh, um, John McCain, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, Jeb Bush, and now you know Mike Pence. As no, the, I uh, wouldn't put him in that category. I think those people oh, yeah. are genuinely evil. <laughs> like, okay, I mean, they're bad people and they were bad for America. I think. Mike Pence is bad for America, not because he himself is evil or has evil views. It's because he's a coward and he shouldn't be in a position of leadership. That makes sense. That's right. Let me ask you, uh, yeah. here's, here's, here's the big question uh, that I've wanted to ask you. It's not so much what happened above the Capitol, you know, with the uh, Trump supporters yeah. uh, taking selfies, you know, and of course the tragedy, the murder of Ashley Babbitt by Michael J. Byrd. But uh, as far as the coup, the coup, I think, took place under the Capitol. And there's nothing in the congressional record. 
there's, there's this complete absence. They went on recess, but they were still meeting. So what happened? I think the real coup, the arm twisting, the you better vote for Brandon or else, you know, you're going to lose your committee seat. You're going to lose your, your money. Yeah. The parties under the Capitol, the arms were twisted so that when they emerged on top, I remember Kelly Leffler in particular, who was like, I'm going to challenge the election. We've got problems. We've got issues we have to investigate. As soon yeah. as they came back, oh, I support America. I support Brandon. I support this, you know, uh, for yeah. the good well, of the country. Well, that's what January 6th was for. Like, that's what the, the whole fake insurrection was for, to say, oh, it forced their hand in the sense of the narrative at the time was that Trump supporters had breached the Capitol. And mm-hmm. so everyone was thinking, these are Trump supporters. Do you want to align with the people who are assaulting the Capitol or do you want to align with us? You know, we're the American democracy. We're the, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. It's a false, it's a false choice. And so they, you know, they all did what they did, which is, Super frustrating, but I mean, what are you going to do? They they had led everybody to believe that Trump supporters were assaulting the Capitol, and are you going to align with domestic terrorists, or are you going to align with the political establishment that has been so good for the United States? You know, that's, <laughs> they, they, they put them in this false narrative. So, yeah, yeah. right. So, so, so it's not as nefarious as I think, which is interesting. But is there anything else that yeah. happened under the Capitol that we should know about? Is there, you know, because nobody ever asks that question. Journalist ever says, yeah. what did you guys do under there for, for eight hours? I never hear yeah. that. I don't know. I think, and don't get me wrong, I, I definitely think there's a lot of evil taking place. I think this is a battle of good versus evil. I don't think it's Republicans versus Democrats. Um, so okay. I don't want to minimize that. I just think some of the people that made the choices they made, I, I don't think were as evil. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Let me, go ahead. Yeah. So, sorry, no, go ahead. Okay. Well, I have another question. I just want to make sure we've, we've covered this. Yeah. Um, the, the January 6th committee, uh, it seems to me, and I've talked about this on the show, that yesterday's lies have to be replaced by today's lies, and today's lies will be replaced by tomorrow's lies. And the January 6th committee maintained the narrative. They already had the White House. They'd stolen the government. They'd stolen, I think, the Congress, or a large part of it. They'd stolen governors in various offices around the country. They'd stolen secretaries of state, and George Soros had stolen DAs. So they already had the government. Yeah. Why, why did they feel the need to perpetuate this narrative that we all know is false? through this bogus January 6th committee? Because I think they were trying really, really hard, you know, for so long. And I think they've been doing this for years. I don't think this was something new in 2020. To your point about 2018, I think a lot of this happened in 2018 and in years prior. And in years okay. prior, they had the luxury of manipulating elections without anybody really knowing, you know, without anybody paying attention or actually, like, really sounding the alarm. In 2020, mm-hmm. they were forced to themselves because they wanted Donald Trump out so badly they outed themselves as the cheaters that they are. And so, what was the question? <laughs> I totally got okay. distracted. No, no, that's fine. It happens a lot in this show. We're, we're driven by you know God and ADHD. <laughs> this is what makes us all good. right. Right. Uh, so, so you're you're among friends. Um, but I'm just the, the narrative, the, the maintaining of the narrative. You know, oh, people yeah. who oh, okay. who know you that. The election was stolen. I mean, the Democrats know they, the election was stolen. They yeah, stole they it. Yeah, they know they stole it. They had to <laughs> you know, try yeah. to push the narrative. So they, yeah, they were trying to get back to where they were pre-2020, whereas mm-hmm. no one's paying attention. We can do all of this in secret. They were trying okay. to regain their secrecy. And uh, this is just my opinion. But um, they were trying to regain their secrecy. And so they were really pushing this narrative so hard to try to get people to believe it. Because if the majority of Americans consumed this lie and actually embraced it, then they could once again work in the shadows. Hmm. 
Interesting. Um, I, I got one more question rare. for you, then I want to tell you a little, a little bit. I'm sorry, what would you say? No, 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 that was it. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, no, that's fine. Yeah, see, both of us were so enthusiastic. This is fun. Um, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> don't worry about it. Listen, yeah. Um, the 22nd Amendment, uh, we've been talking about on this show, how it says here, no person shall be elected to the office of president more than twice, and no person who mm-hmm. has held the office of president or acted as president for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected president shall be elected to the office of president more than once. So it seems right. to me, in our deductions, <clears throat> that as of January 21st, you know, 2023, which was last Saturday, that Donald mm-hmm. Trump could take his office back, serve less than two years to a term which everybody yep. says somebody else is elected to and still run again in 2024. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I would love to see that happen. Do you have a plan to make that happen? I'd be real curious. To <laughs> well, actually, I was kind of hoping that you did, but I was thinking that. So, oh, so, so where's Arizona? Where, where, where's the revoking of the Brandon electors? I mean, they went through the audit. Why did they go through the audit yeah. if they weren't going to act on the results? You know, and I had Wendy Rogers. Yeah, on the show. I mean, those are all those are all great questions. Like, there are some yeah. really, really great patriots in Arizona. There just aren't enough. Um, okay. But and, and who knows? Maybe they will. Maybe they they could still revoke their electors. You know, I, I don't I don't know okay. what plans they have right now. But yeah, no, you're right. Um, I, okay. It's such, well, let's brainstorm after, after the show. We, we work on stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you a little bit about what, what we do here and why this is, I think, such a unique place. So I had the idea years ago to combine a citizen legislature with a radio show. So anybody in the country would have the opportunity to, to work with a bill, write a bill, comment on a bill, and, and even get a bill on the president, the real president's desk. You know, the genius of just the average American citizen. And so we've written several bills here. The, the first one on vaccine product liability, for example, just takes the two places in, in federal law where it says vaccine manufacturers shall not be liable. And we basically take out the word not. <laughs> you know, these are simple ones. Right. Amazing but concept. The, yeah. That's all you have to do. Okay. Now, I'll send you yeah. there's a couple more things in there, but that's essentially the bill. We end big tech censorship by taking two lines out of Section 230, the ones that talk about you know, that they have the power to remove you know, language that, or stuff that's you know, lewd, lascivious, harassing, et cetera, et cetera, or yeah. otherwise objectionable, despite uh, what, what uh, might be constitutionally protected. So we take that out and say, okay, big tech, you're immune from what anybody posts. Because you're immune from any, what anybody posts, you can't touch it. So if they touch, a, uh, if they touch anything posts on social media, if they touch messages, if they touch anything that happens, any content on social media, or if they arrange the search engine in any way other than the raw number of hits, they lose that liability protection. That immunity is revoked oh, and anybody can sue them. That's how we sit. That's, and that's it. It changed four, three lines of that's law. Great. Okay, well, I'll send you that bill too. Um, we yeah, have, I mean, that's great. I mean, if you have <laughs> that, the question it raises is getting it through the lobbyists. Right. So oh, yeah, I know. That's a our, big question. Many of our members. Well, so, here's yeah, a, a different challenge. Well, let me let me be shameless here. My, my goal, I'm hoping, is yeah. that you can get these bills to President Trump and that might possibly oh. ask him if, if you consider endorsing Action Radio on the concept of citizen okay. legislation. That's ultimately cool, where yeah. I'd like to go. Yeah. Okay, I will. This would be great. Um, we have cool. another bill. Here's the big one. Constitutional amendment to end the power of Congress to borrow money. Oh, interesting. I shamelessly admit I'm, I'm not a money person. <laughs> I don't okay, know, well, that's fine. I don't know those policies. So that sounds good to me, but that's, that is not my area of expertise. So I don't, I can't, I don't know. But it sounds good. <laughs> well, what it would do is end inflation. 
Uh, it would increase the value yeah. of money. It would increase the value of our savings. It would lower prices. It would put us on, on a permanent um, trajectory for, for economic prosperity. It would be the roaring 20s all over again. And uh, you know, probably the best part about it, it, was it would automatically pay off the national debt because as the bonds that were floated to, to cover the borrowing earlier, as those mm-hmm. were paid off, the national debt would be reduced and the, uh, the, the interest on the national debt would be reduced. And our economic advisor, on Derek Parker's on Fridays, figured out 30 to 40 years, the national debt would be gone without any pain to it because Congress wouldn't be borrowing any wow. more money and adding to it. That's the plan. Okay, cool. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, this is fun. I'm actually getting yep. into everything I thought. Do you have more than half an hour or do you have to go at the bottom of the hour? No, I'm sorry. I've got, I've got to run. That's fine. Okay, so anyway, Greg at writeyourlaws.com. That's our website, writeyourlaws.com. Okay. Questions for me? Anything else? Uh, uh, any more revelations from the no, book? No, that wanted? was great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was a really fun conversation. Thank you. Okay, well, good. So the other thing I want to get you to, we have, uh, do you know Stuart Rhodes of the Oath Keepers? He's uh, one of the J6 prisoners. He actually uh, yes, called. Yes, yes. He actually called us from the Oklahoma Federal Prison, and his attorney at the time, Jonathan Mosley, put it on the air. So we actually have a recording with a message of him to uh, President Trump and to Congress. Yeah, we, you know, so this is what we have. Anyway, if you have to go, that's great. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I've really loved our chat. And uh, yeah, see if we can get in contact and talk more. Anything else, anything in the book, Definitely. contact, where to get the book, title. Let's give all the information uh, you want now. Yeah, it's available. You know, Amazon's the easy one. Uh, stealing Your Vote. And um, you can find me there. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Getter and Truth, Christina Bob, or Christina underscore Bob. Sounds good. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye now. Wow. <laughs> that was fabulous. And I, I can't believe I got everything out. Let's see if the, Diane is still on the line here. Are you, are you in transit, Diane? Are you still listening? Are you able to talk? No, she's not. That's okay. I'll mute her line again. That was fabulous. I got it all in. I got the story in. I got the, the questions in. I mean, there's lots more I could talk about. You know, you know this, I was talking about the 22nd Amendment. Um, I had more questions on, um, you know, Bob Barr, the Attorney General, or is it Bill Barr? I think it's Bill Barr. Um, everything else that's happening, you know, how we go about doing this. But, yeah, that's the, that's the next question is – let me unmute Diane's line just in case she's there. That's the big question is where do we go from here? How do we activate the states to do what they're supposed to do, revoke the Brandon electors, put the Trump electors? And that's just confirmation, you know, that, uh, that if we can get, um, uh, you know, the president, President Trump in office now, he can still run again in 2024, according to the 22nd Amendment. That was fascinating. Diane, are you there? Are you, are you live? Are you able to call us or check back in? Are you still listening? She might be in class, right? She mentioned something about that earlier. I'm just flying. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> We've got the rest of the show, and I've, I've already accomplished what I wanted to do today. So I'm kind of in this, uh, in this interesting mode. All right. You know, I have to listen to it, how it goes. Uh, it, that, that went well. That went really well. Let me take another break. <laughs> I'll figure out what I want to do. Um, I've got another interview to play. I'll probably get to that in a little bit. But so let me see if there's anything else that I, uh, I can do now. Um, yeah, again, it's just adrenaline. You want to talk about a, an intense interview? We got it all in. I can't believe I got everything in. I wanted to. This is very cool. I'll play a couple things. It's now 825. I actually beat. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much time she had, but we got it all in. So life is good. Whew, I need to calm down. <laughs> that was exciting. Uh, there's so much information there. I mean, it's going to take me a while to process. I'll have to listen. I'll probably have more details for you later. Okay, let's go. I'll be back in a bit. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow. 
And now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash WYL. That's mypillow.com slash WYL. Or order now by calling 1 800 544 8939. That's 1 800 544 8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. 
Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Okay, I'm back, and uh, calm me down a little bit. Like I say, I still get excited. I hope I always get excited when I get to talk to somebody uh, like Christina Bob, who is just doing amazing work. And, uh, you know, uh, Steve Bannon makes a big point of her being in the Marines, and, uh, the, and he's talking about, you know, training troops in, in uh, force, in the use of force, and that's the kind of thing I would like to explore with her uh, more and just, you know, how this, how this all applies. And I'd be curious to get into the intelligence agencies, you know, especially talking about some of the things we're talking about now. So that would be, that would be fascinating to get more and more into this uh, as we go. Uh, looks like I've got a caller here, so let me just check the phone number real quick. And uh, this would be a good time to call in, by the way. I have lots of time. I've got an hour and a half, uh, so this would not be um, uh, a bad time. I've got the, the live chats open, too. And I'll come down in a minute. <laughs> right now I'm a little bit excited um, because, uh, you know, if this works out, that I'm able to, to uh, uh, contact Christina Bob and get bills to her, to President Trump, then Action Radio takes on a whole new meaning. Uh, Action Radio uh, just goes you know, way beyond you know, all of our, our wildest uh, uh, things. Oh, uh, let me see. I've got a new person. Don't recognize this number. Let me see. Let's just check real quickly here about the, the bad numbers. But I think – and new people are welcome to call. It's just that once you call – I always ask people to check in the live chat. And, you know, give first name and uh, where you're calling from and uh, an idea of the topic so I can kind of pre-screen. But if I can't do that, then I have to do it the old-fashioned way and just look up numbers. And I don't see this one's a, a uh, problem here, so let me just write down my number. I'll be right with our caller here in just a second. I'm looking for a call screener producer, so obviously when we get to that person, we'll, we'll be able to do it. Um, so be a good call, and you can stick around. Be a not-so-good call, and you won't be back. And so uh, local caller, welcome to Action Radio. Uh, hi, Greg. This is Barbara Mayall. You should have my number. I should have your number. You know what? There's, every once in a while I run into one that I didn't write down. And so that's my mistake. Okay, so well, I, I humbly apologize for that. Maybe not. Maybe I know not. who you are. So. Yeah. What did you think of uh, having Christina Bob on? Uh, well, I'm not going to say either way. Um, oh. I, I'm driving, so I, I just wanted to tell you, and the reason why is because I, I really hate to say this, but I just got on listening because, uh, like I said, I'm driving the Daphne. Um, uh-huh. But I, and I wanted to ask you, and if it's not proper, that's fine. Did you get my uh, information about the uh, the Women for Responsible Legislation on our meeting as far as an, uh, attorney lobbyist Annie, Anna Crow? Uh, I'm Did not you... Anna Crow, Anna. Anna Higgins, I'm sorry. Was that um, emailed to me? Uh, it was. Uh, I think I texted it to you because I couldn't find the email. But oh, okay. Text it. We'll, we'll... Today on post row. Uh huh. No, you can talk about that. Actually, the, strangely enough, I did have your your uh, your number here, but I'm so dyslexic with numbers. 
<laughs> it's actually oh, you, you were listening. I'm here. so sorry that I'm, I'm calling in the middle of of a show that really probably doesn't have anything to do with. No, what no, I'm don't worry saying. about it. No, we're like, no. This is actually the perfect time to call because you know I have uh, Christina Bob is our big interview for today. She's, she'd be our big interview yeah. no matter what the show was. And so it was a pleasure well, to talk to her. Well, she's not um, here now. I, <laughs> she's doing another interview. Uh, yeah. She has a book, uh, oh, you know, uh, Stealing the Election, the Inside Story of the 2020, uh, Stealing the Vote, excuse me, the Inside Story of the 2020 Election, available on Amazon.com. And that's Bob, B-O-B-B. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm looking. I don't think you text me. I'm not sure. But uh, I got your phone number, so I can text you. Right. The show. If I, if today, at, uh, from 1130 to 1 at uh, Pensacola City Hall, second floor, uh, we have light snacks. The free food, you know, people always, if they want to come to something and it's their lunch time, uh, uh-huh. we do feed you. So, you know, sometimes when you feed people, they come. But anyway, makes sense a to great me. speaker. I'll show up for food. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have some good stuff. So she's going to be talking about uh, post-Roe since the federal government has put the abortion back onto the state. And... Uh, so uh, I think it's going to be something very interesting, even if you're for or against, uh, if you're pro-life or, or pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't believe in the pro-choice uh, vernacular, really. You know, mm-hmm. but anyway, uh, I think that a person would be very interested in what your state is doing, the free state of Florida, which we are, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and find out what our governor is doing and make sure that our next governor continues this. That's our that's our key is we have to make sure whoever's coming into office, we have a great governor now, but whoever's coming into office continues this this walk of freedom for Florida. Um, so that's what I would like to invite your listeners in and you as well. And I'm sorry that you did not get it. I was sure I said it, but that's. Well, you're always willing to call in. You know, you can call and make announcements. I wish more people would, quite frankly. And I have one Uh, more. Sure, go ahead. If you don't have if you don't have a line of callers, um, I got. I watch Fraser a lot, so. <laughs> Most people actually listen by podcast. Strangely enough, you know, it's the yeah. the live show audience is nowhere near as big. It's only about ten percent. The the ninety percent of people listen by podcast. So they're listening in their cars. Yeah. They're, they're they've got their phone connected to their audio. They're listening at home or at work or wherever they're listening. But the, and of course, a lot of our show is you know, a lot of our audience is international. We're we're heard in fifty to sixty countries okay. depending on on the month. So a lot of this stuff goes out well, worldwide. Yeah, and so they don't they can't like listen live because they're asleep. <laughs> What's that? Kind of like my friend Ron Park. He's a truck driver, and you might know him. Uh huh. Sorry, I'm driving. Uh, That's okay. No, you're fine. So sorry. But uh, so but if you anyway, have a friend, who's... are you familiar? Are you familiar with the special election in Ocala for District 24? Uh, the state rep. Uh, remember the guy that was in office got in trouble for spending some COVID money, and um, so. Yeah, so he's not in office anymore. So uh, we are hopefully uh, got a we got we've got a new guy that's running. Well, there's a couple of them, but mm-hmm. Rand, uh, his name is Ryan Chamberlain. If you're not familiar with him, you need to be. He's uh, he's uh, uh, very very. He's a family man, uh, 100% uh, uh, pro family. And he's running for that state rep, District 24, and it's mm-hmm. a special election in March. And well, why don't you really come on the show with him? Why don't you invite him on the show? 
and you bring them on oh, and you I two uh, appear Annie, together. Annie Marie, yeah. Annie Marie Delgado is helping him. She would love okay. to have him on the show. Well, she's been on the show before. Yeah, that'd be fine. Right. Yeah. Okay. So when's a good time for that? I'll tell you off the air because <laughs> it's a little more involved. But we have we – have, uh, actually, I have a lot of time on the show right now because, well, for, for 18 weeks, you know, especially on Thursdays, we had the World's Greatest Doctors panel. And I had Dr. Judy Mikovits, Brian Artist, uh, uh, Ben Marble, Jim Thorpe. Um, we had uh, our local folks, uh, Dr. Viglione, uh, Deborah joined us. And we had uh, various folks, Christiane Northrup up in Maine, and different doctors joined us. And they took the whole three hours. And so we still, yeah. and then they all left because they got busy and they started doing other things. And all the, like the reawaken tour, reawaken America tour and things like that. So I've got a lot of time, especially on Thursdays, but I have, you know, basically Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, are the, and even Friday uh, are good for guests. Well, like one I'm hour most of those days, con- three hours on Thursdays. Yeah, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going to contact her right, uh, I'm going to contact her right now. And sure. uh, maybe you guys hook up because since it's, uh, I mean, Mark is just right around the corner. And mm-hmm. people need to understand that the guy that's running against him is is uh, has had his hand in the kill and some other Uh-oh. issues that I'm not going to mention anything else because I don't want to be held accountable for anything I say. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Except the truth, and I'm that that right there is just like uh, other. She said, she said, he said. So <laughs> I only like to speak the truth, and but I do know the truth about Ryan Chamberlain. And I can send you some information, and, but we need more people like him in our state, in our Congress, in our House. And, and we really need someone with the family values to back up what our great governor is doing in the free state of Florida. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, um, there's something, too, to, I don't know if you know about this, but uh, Diane Warner, who is our new election integrity reporter and also medical freedom reporter, um, Diane has written a bill, and I helped a little bit sort of, you know, formatting and stuff like that, uh, on election integrity. And we have some uh, ideas about uh, paper ballots only, about getting rid of the voting machines, uh, about oh, um, about having 1,000-person maximum for precincts. All the ballots are hand-counted. The counting is videotaped. And my addition, my idea, is that all voter registrations expire December 31st at midnight, so the voter rolls are automatically cleaned of, you know, folks that have moved, folks that have passed on, things like that, and everybody just re-registers, just like you do your car, you know, but your first Isn't registration. is that great? I mean, yeah. it's not rocket like, either. No, it's not. Life make it more difficult than it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so all these people are saying, well, we have to clean up the voter rolls. No, you don't. You just have them all expire. And that automatically right. cleans them. And then what, your initial, though, you have to have proof of citizenship. You know, you have to picture ID, government ID, things like that, birth certificate, driver's license, or uh, ideally passport, uh, uh, naturalization well, papers if, if you're an immigrant, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look what they're doing. Is it Connecticut where they're allowing uh, illegal aliens to vote in that particular? That's illegal. In those, uh, yeah. yeah, they should all be arrested. They should be arrested for, yeah. for, for oppressing the right to vote of citizens. So there's a there's a federal statute, uh, Title 18, uh, Section 241. Well, the see now the FBI enforces civil rights laws allegedly, but civil. Now here's the case, and this is a, this is a Christina Bob question. I would have asked her if I had more time. Hopefully she'll. Be, I think she'll be back on. I think she had a, a good time here. Um, okay. But the Texas case, the the Texas case, with the Supreme Court was was absolutely constitutionally bound to take the Texas case uh, of election uh, suppression. In other words, all those states that had all those illegal votes ruined the votes of Texans because their electors didn't count as much because these other states had these bogus electors. And so it it, uh, basically sacrificed and oppressed the Texas vote. Now, the Supreme Court was absolutely constitutionally bound to take that case, and yet they didn't. 
So that to me is that, that uh, those that voted against taking that case should be removed from the court for bad behavior for violating their oath of office. And that's what the Lloyd Brunson Absolutely. case was about. There you go. Absolutely. We, you know, Greg, we, we are really losing our freedoms. In this, and, and if we, the people, do not stand up right now, it's going to be mm-hmm. our fault. Well, but the question is, how do you stand up? See, most people don't know how to stand up, and this is why I need folks like yeah. you to tell everybody about Action Radio, because this is where you stand up. We write the bills. Yeah. We it's get them directly Action to the elected officials. Go ahead. Yeah, you do legislation, you keep people accountable, and you inform mm-hmm. us, and I'm very, very thankful for Action oh. Radio. Well, thank you, and feel free to share our show everywhere, and, and tell everybody that you share it to to share it too. We have to break the censorship. Uh, you know we're censored. You know the big tech hates us. You know that uh, the FBI KGB listens to my show. I'm sure they do. They're uh-huh. stupid not to. <laughs> you know, so I want to welcome hey, you, gentlemen, hey. in, your, in your headphones and yeah, ladies to, uh, to call into the show. Yeah, FBI KGB, the number is 215-383-3832. Come join us. <laughs> you know, let's, let's make it a party line. Let's have some fun here. You know, in the yeah, interest of full you know, disclosure. Give us, give us some, they should give us some more of the top FBI agents that have already taken money from mm-hmm. uh, Russia and are just now being uh, taunted about it. Ta- I mm. mean, well, maybe held accountable. Who knows? Mm-hmm. No, you need to come well, on as a I'm regular person. We need, just, we need to get, get you a I'm report. Gonna Barbara? Yes. I'm going to get with yeah. Amy. Yes. Well, I'm just saying we need to get you a report. You should be on all the time. You should be on weekly or, or just, you know, just, uh, just at the activist, you know, the activist at large report. You know, we'll, we'll give you a title. Oh, okay. Yeah, then you'll have me on it. It won't be January 6th. It'll be that day they'll come <laughs> arrest me. <laughs> well, well, don't worry about that. I'm not well, worried about it. That's we'll be in the gulag together. You know, we'll, we'll sing the Star Spangled Banner at 9 o'clock, just the J6 folks hey, doing the gulag in Washington. Not only mm-hmm. that, not only that, the Lord can put me there so I can stay in his word and nobody will bother me. There you go. <laughs> All Makes right, sense buddy, to me. i got to run, but I'm okay. going to get with Annie. All right, thank you so That's much. Good. Thanks, Barbara. Appreciate you calling in. This is fun. <laughs> this is what I love doing radio. I never know what's going to happen. And I, I, I goofed. I did have Barbara's number, but uh, I should have... Uh, you know, and uh, but you know, nobody seems well. She's driving, I don't expect her to check on the live chat when she's driving, but uh, this is what makes it so much fun here. So, the first hour, I got to talk about uh, Watergate, CIA, Nixon, you know, and the uh, another to me, this is just another deep state operation. So, they're so practiced in this that now they actually have a coup, you know, so they, they steal the whole government. And that's why the, 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 the fascinating thing about talking to Christina Bob uh, is some of the revelations she had one, the 22nd Amendment, you know, that uh, Trump can. Take this term now, the rest of it, and still run for 2024. Um, also, that she liked her some legislative ideas, and that she basically confirmed uh, things that I didn't know in terms of what happened, you know, in the beginning, you know, before everybody arrived, you know, who are the operatives? What, there was no demonstration. There, there's a lot of stuff that wasn't happening, and yet all the reporters are being locked up. Well, that to me indicates <clears throat> they knew what was going on. Why would you lock up reporters before something happens? <laughs> Unless you know what's going to happen, right? So all this stuff, you start looking at this, you start analyzing, you go, huh, wait a minute. Anyway, uh, I'm really looking forward to further chats with her. That was just fascinating. All right, let me get to um, an article that I discovered, a little different topic here, economics. And uh, this is the nice thing about being a, in radio. You've got to be a generalist. You've got to be well-versed in every topic. Otherwise, you know, when people bring up stuff, and what are you going to do? So we're going to take this up with Derek tomorrow. But uh, the, the Wall Street Journal uh, is the only place I found where they actually had an article uh, talking about the national debt uh, in terms of cutting spending. 
See, everybody else says you've got to raise the debt limit. Well, that's absurd. That's insane. That's why I talked to Christina about my idea, you know, our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Yeah, I'm, I'm dying to find out. You know, I'll, 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 be, I'll be quite honest here. Uh, this is pretty shameless, but I'm dying to find out if, uh, if Trump gets to read our bills, what happens, what happens from there. But uh, that, you know, that's kind of, you know, the, the, this, is, this is my goal. And so we'll see what happens. Anyway, Wall Street Journal. Uh, Red Gen Key, J-A-H-N-C-K-E, January 19th, so just a few days ago. Uh, the title of the article, Debt, Not the Debt Limit, is the Real Fiscal Crisis. And so we'll get into economics tomorrow, but uh, I might as well do it today. And then I've got a, a WEBY interview, a classic from uh, 2017 I want to play for you with uh, Chris Barra. So anyway, so the, the subtitle is, A Spending Blowout and Higher Interest Rates Make Spending Cuts Not Only Necessary but Urgent. I like this person. And it's a Wall Street Journal, so it's pretty I think it appeared in oh, it's Wall Street Journal opinion. Yeah, here we go. Uh, so it says Washington is now com- consumed by the question of whether to raise the ceiling on the national debt. That ceiling currently stands at $31.38 trillion. Well, it's more than that now because this was a few days ago, right? Barely above the $31.34 trillion of outstanding debt subject to the ceiling. And that's according to the latest, uh, the latest daily Treasury statement. So it's actually over. They're over the debt ceiling already, it looks like. He says, on its natural course, the debt would blast through the ceiling. The Treasury will begin implementing what it calls, quote, extraordinary measures to fulfill commitments to bondholders and Social Security recipients until June. That leaves Congress with roughly five months to avoid a fiscal collision before jeopardizing payments on the national debt. The so-called responsible faction in the implementing uh, impending debt debate says that the ceiling should be raised without any risk that the nation default on its debt. The nation's credit worthiness, they argue, shouldn't be held hostage by conditions of fiscal discipline. The White House falls into this faction, insisting on a higher ceiling without any strings attached. Let me just clear this up, folks. The, the answer to the debt ceiling is to cut the spending. The idea that Congress can take out obligations knowing full well that the only way those obligations can be paid is by raising the debt ceiling is economic treason. The fact that they're borrowing so much money, $31 trillion plus, is economic uh, suicide. So between economic treason and economic suicide, we're in a really bad position right now. The only solution is to start uh, paying off the national debt, cut the debt, and cut the spending. The best way to do that, I believe, first of all, is that constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. That's huge. So we'll see what happens. Again, you know, if I can go directly to uh, you know, President Trump himself with our legislation – that would be a major change in this country. That would be huge. And so we shall see. We shall see what happens you know, as this goes. But the idea that we have to increase the debt ceiling to meet our obligations is not true. We have to make our obligations come under the debt ceiling, and that's up to Congress. If Congress can spend the money we don't have, Congress can not spend the money you know, that we do have. <laughs> so that's an interesting way to, to, to put it. But it's all in the hands of Congress. If Congress simply cut spending, this wouldn't be an issue. But see, they can't cut spending. They're addicted. They're, they're so addicted to spending. They're like two-year-olds. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. They cannot control themselves. So we have to control them by writing citizen legislation, taking away the power of Congress to borrow money. You know, they just live within, live within their means like the rest of us do, you know, which, which would, uh, I believe, cut back on a lot of foreign wars because they won't have the money for it. A lot of uh, sending of our money to other places like Ukraine. Uh, probably uh, cancel a whole bunch of programs that we can't afford anymore because they can't borrow money. They can't fund them. You know, a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff would happen. So all those departments you don't need, you know, they might sacrifice, you know, like the Department of Education. Oh, the, the first thing, the next thing you do, of course, is to get rid of the federal employee uh, unions. 
and that can be done with an executive order. So I was going to, I was also going to ask, I'm sorry, for future show, I want to get to uh, Christine and Bob about Schedule F, which reclassifies all the federal employees. I got a ton of questions for her. So after her book tour, uh, hopefully we'll get her back and we'll see what's going on. Okay. So the article says the so-called responsible faction in the impending debt debate says that the ceiling should be raised with, okay, I read that. I'm sorry. A group of 20 House Republicans, many of whom originally opposed Kevin McCarthy's speakership, announced their opposition to raising the ceiling without spending cuts. Well, see, I object to raising the ceiling for any reason. I would want the spending cuts regardless, you know, and that would take care of the ceiling. Um, so you don't, you don't raise the ceiling and make spending cuts. You make enough spending cuts so you don't have to raise the ceiling. That would be the proper position. So the, this group of 20 Republicans is on the right track. But again, they're wimping out with where they should be. Anyway, it says on Bloomberg TV on Wednesday, Representative Andy Ogles, that's O-G-L-E-S of Tennessee, said he was unwilling to give Biden a blank check. Yet his emerging faction is being called irresponsible and worse. Then he says, but who's really irresponsible? This small group of Republicans wants to reintroduce fiscal discipline on the Biden administration and congressional Democrats who have been borrowing and spending like drunken sailors for two years. Since President, since President I can't even say it, it's not President Biden. Since Brandon, the insurrectionist, uh, since his inauguration alone, the national debt has soared by nearly $3.7 trillion. That is obscene. That is a crime. That is economic suicide and economic treason. Let's call it what it is, by a person that isn't even the president. That's how bad this is. He says, was this spending responsible after $4.4 trillion that was borrowed and spent between February 2020 and January 2021 as part of a necessary response to the pandemic and the ensuing economic shutdown? Many economists warned that Mr. Biden, here we go, that's better, first spending initiative, the $1.9 trillion America Rescue Plan, oh, please, <laughs> since the American Inflation Plan, was unnecessary and would unleash inflation, which it clearly has. It's hardly irresponsible to suggest that we return to fiscal sanity. Any increase in the debt ceiling should be matched by an equal reduction in the slew of post-pandemic domestic spending. No, that's not true. There should not be any increase in the debt ceiling. Spending should be cut below the debt ceiling, and excess revenue should go to pay off the debt. Then he says, the, yet the irresponsible nature of the, uh, I'm going to say the Brandon insurrection, uh, domestic spending, isn't the primary reason that should be reversed. The determinative reason is that federal, uh, that federal interest expense is rapidly rising to unaffordable levels. Given the $8 trillion increase in debt since February 2020 and the high interest rates that the Federal Reserve has had to impose to, re to rein in inflation. He says, in the first three months of this fiscal year, Gross interest on the national debt hit $210 billion first three months. That's the first quarter, all right? Or $144 billion in net interest, excluding interest on the Treasury securities held in government trust accounts. That might take some explaining. I, I have to, uh, that's a direct question. It says that $840 billion gross and $576 billion net on the annualized basis up dramatically from the $580 billion gross and $383 billion net in the 12 months before the economic shutdown of March 2020. Well, yeah, and that shouldn't have happened either. <laughs> that was totally bogus. This escalation doesn't even reflect the full-year impact of the Fed's 2020 interest rate increases. The federal funds rate a year ago was near zero. Rising interest uh, expenses are reflected in worrying trends in deficit. So the deficits, uh, it says, Though the deficit last fiscal year was $1.4 trillion, down from the pandemic-era deficits of $3.1 trillion. This is in fiscal 2020 and $28 trillion in 2021. This is a lot of numbers. I might just skip this part. <laughs> you know, this is heading you know, in the wrong direction again. 
In the first quarter of this fiscal year, deficit was $421 billion, or $1.7 trillion on an annualized basis. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have. I'm just kind of winging the show today. I probably should have uh, looked at this a little more carefully. I'm going to say the last little bit. We're almost done. The rising interest expense is itself a major contributor to the federal deficit and an underlying driver of the growing debt. It's a self-perpetuating perpetuating cycle. Uncle Sam borrows to pay interest while incurring more interest expense on the new borrowing. Let me say that again because this is really key. The rising interest expense, this is the interest on the national debt, is itself a major contributor to the federal deficit. So paying the interest on the money they've borrowed, that's irrational. That's actually the definition of bankruptcy. So they're paying interest on borrowed money. So they borrow money, then they have to pay interest on it, then they have to borrow more money to pay the interest on the money they borrowed. Isn't that the definition of bankruptcy? <laughs> I'm sorry about it. Anybody wants to check in, 215-383-3832. You know, let's see if anybody uh, is on live chat, has a, you know, is, is a, a good number cruncher that can uh, tell me if what I'm saying is, I believe it's true. I believe that's, what, that's how they look at bankruptcy. If you have to borrow money to pay the interest on the money you've borrowed, you don't have enough money. Okay. So it says the right, read this again, the rising interest expense is itself a major contributor to the federal deficit and an underlying driver of the growing debt. It's a self-perpetuating cycle. Uncle Sam borrows, borrows to pay interest while incurring more interest expense on the new borrowing. It continues, in addition to higher net interest, other items like entitlements continue to expand the deficit. Social Security expenses could rise roughly $100 billion over the next year to accommodate the 8.7% cost of living increase for high inflation, which began this month. Again, that was totally unnecessary. Had they not caused inflation, they wouldn't have to raise the cost of living expense to Social Security recipients. But they did. So they caused inflation. They caused the interest rates to go up. They caused the amount of money they have to pay on the interest on the national debt to go up. They've increased the cost of Social Security you know, for an inflation that never had to happen in the first place. Economic suicide. <laughs> These people are morons. It says Congress has long been aware of the impending budget crisis and could have adequately prepared for it. A small group, the small group of Republicans, threatening to vote against any debt ceiling increase has the right idea, that is, to force action now. The longer we wait to rein in debt, the harder it will be to escape a looming fiscal tailspin. I've heard $50 trillion and we're done. There's, there's no way to recover from that. And we're at $31 trillion now, so we're on the way. We're over halfway there. Article says, the House GOP should unite around these legislators and adopt a, simil- a simple dollar-for-dollar dollar approach, offering Democrats $1 of additional debt capacity for every $1 of domestic spending cuts today, not 10 years from now, leaving Democrats to de- designate what non-military programs to cut. <laughs> should people wonder why defense should be exempt, they need only consider Ukraine today and the possibility of Taiwan tomorrow. Well, that's a, that's a different situation. What responsibility do we have to defend Ukraine? And the answer is none. Okay? So, in fact, the Ukraine, if, if we had not encouraged NATO to get involved, if we had just left Ukraine alone, Russia would have walked in and dominated the place. They would have sued for peace. Very few people would have died. It would have been over very quickly. And uh, Ukraine and Eastern Europe and Russia could figure it out. It's their problem. It's not our problem. It's their problem. Taiwan. Now, Taiwan, we have a pact with them. We have a treaty to defend Taiwan. Well, the best way to defend Taiwan is to arm them to the teeth, you know, send over half a million uh, or, or like or five million, you know, um, AK-47s and uh, M-16s and say, here, train them on how to use them. Or, or maybe we'll make the civilian version, AR-15s. Send, send them five million AR-15s. Arm all the citizens. You know, China's not going to occupy a place where everybody has a rifle. <laughs> yeah. and, and we don't, you know, that's how, you, that's how you handle that. 
and you give them all the anti-tank weapons, all the anti-ship weapons, all the anti-aircraft missiles, you know, the Patriot missiles, all the stuff they can. Give them drones like crazy, you know, drones that can go out and take out a ship. <laughs> you know, you arm Taiwan with every defensive weapon you possibly can. So here, go ahead, fight your war. Well, that's how you do it. Last paragraph. There's plenty of time before June. Democrats, uh, I don't know what June has to do with it. Uh, Democrats who unleash the irresponsible spending in the first place should immediately begin negotiations within this framework. Should Democrats falter, the credit crisis will be on their hands. No, it'll be on our hands. <laughs> Let's tell the truth about this. The debt crisis will be on our hands if we don't stop Congress from borrowing money. Because we're the ones who are going to have to pay for it. They're not. We pay the taxes. You know, they, they get their privileges. You know, they get their, their salary and their pension from us. So what we really need to do is to start electing people. Uh, well, first of all, we need to get rid of the parties. Because a lot of this is party politics. People that support the parties are who the, the individuals are catering to, catering to to get their party money. So no debt ceiling increase. Elimination of the national debt, take away the power of Congress to borrow money, and you'd be in a lot better shape than they would by this sort of minuscule, you know, teeny tiny uh, effort that they want to do to say, okay, well, you can borrow more money, Democrats, if we, you know, you also propose a cut. Well, they're not going to propose a cut. They're going to take the increase in the debt ceiling. They're going to say, screw you Republicans for the cut, and it's going to be business as usual. (laughs) That's what's going to happen. How do I know that? Because that's what always happens. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Republicans propose something, you know, kind of wimpy. Democrats say no, and the Republicans go, okay, that's fine. Tell us what to do. Anyway, so I played all the stuff I need to play. So now we can just uh, have some fun here. But I, I, um, I got an interview here, and this is WEBY. And I love playing my WEBY interviews because this is the only way you're going to hear them. Uh, they were not uh, – well, I guess they were podcasts of the station, but the station now has new owners. And they're not going to play them again. <laughs> you know, so I will. So these are my interviews, so they're mine. Uh, they're, they're action radio, so it's mine, you know, and so I don't mind playing these. And uh, one person I want to get back on the show, uh, Christopher Barra. Kind of looks like Robert De Niro. It's interesting, you know, so he, he, he could do the celebrity lookalike things. Uh, he sounds a bit like him, too. It's really kind of funny. So you've you got to know Chris, but Chris is a wealth management expert. He's got a master's uh, in wealth management. He's a tax uh, person. He has Barra Tax Service here in, in Milton, uh, Florida. And so we got to talking a few times. This is the first interview. I'll probably play all of them uh, over the course of getting all my WEBY uh, interviews uh, on, uh, on podcasts here so people can check them out, refer to them. And they go, they're part of the Internet and part of my record of broadcasting. And this is part of the reason I do it. So Chris is fascinating. And like I say, he lives in the same town, so I should be able to get a hold of him. This will take us through most of the next hour, about 40, how long is this, 43 minutes. Uh, and so uh, enjoy, listen, uh, and, uh, and then last 15 minutes, anybody wants to call in, we'll talk then. But uh, the point is that uh, this was from WEBY, which is 1330 AM. It's a station that no longer exists as a talk radio station. I think they do sports now. Uh, it's all Internet, so there's, there's nobody actually there. Uh, so anytime you hear a phone number that's not 215-383-3832, that's the WEBY number. Don't call it. Nobody's there. <laughs> you won't get an answer. Uh, and anytime you hear anything referring to WEBY, that's of a previous uh, ownership. That's when, when I was there. So this interview comes from, let me get my check my date here. October 4th of 2017. So I've been at WBY long enough. I had about six months of experience. Oh, March, May, June, July, August, September, October. So, so I had about uh, eight months of experience in radio at this point. So still some ums and ahs and some other things that I don't do as much now. Huh, maybe I do. Anyway, enjoy this. Listen in. Have some fun. And uh, we'll talk wealth management. We'll talk other things when we get back. And this is, again, from October 4th, 2017, uh, Chris Barra. <laughs>
you know, I thought things were kind of calm when I was going over the news, weather, and sports, and everything just kind of went crazy here. <laughs> this is so much fun. And I'll start with Brandy. And so, not that Brandy caused the craziness. In fact, she actually helped uh, get rid of a lot of it. But uh, it's just we had so many questions to answer. Now Chris is here, and he, he's hit me with like six topics already before we even get started with our hour here. So anyway, we even have things to do. Uh, you know, if uh, we go back to the Florida Panther question, fight back if attacked. That's the basic thing you want to do. The lovebird did get adopted. And uh, we're still working on the butterfly species in the butterfly house. Other than that, that's the latest update from our from our, our pup date. But Chris Barra is here, and Chris Barra is a Barra Tax Service. That's B A R R A. It's a good thing with a Boston accent; you don't have an R at the end of that. If it was like Barra Tax Service, you'd always be mispronouncing it. Well, some people do. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. I, I usually get it right. Okay, we talked about something really interesting. Uh, actually, like four or five topics. I want to start with uh, with colleges. Because that's one of the big concerns of people is the cost of college. It's insane. And you were saying something about the fact these people don't learn anything when they get out. And what are they doing now? What's going on? Well, I mean, that's not, it's not really uncommon knowledge, but people yeah. are getting out of school, and they didn't really learn anything in school to be able to pay back their loans. Okay. It would be nice if they would teach them something they could make money at. Now, you can't require that unless you require you know, people to learn certain things. And we don't do that, so... How do you, I mean, we assume people have the sense to know that they're going to go to school for, for a degree that's going to help them. But if you've got, you know, advanced social justice, you know, or, or, or other degrees that, uh, you know, protesting, you know, 101, <laughs> what are you going to do? Well, I think they're relying on the fact and they're hoping that there's going to be legislation, some kind of tax legislation maybe that might okay. be passed that would um, exonerate them from these debts. Yeah. I mean, $60,000 a year for school, who would pay that if it wasn't guaranteed in a loan? Yeah. Well, and that's the question, too. How about debt in general, and how does that figure into tax and financial planning? How much debt should a, a young college-age person take on, well, realistically? Well, as, as, little, as little as they possibly can. Okay. You know, especially if uh, you, know, you plan on studying something you won't be able to make any money at. Well, yeah, which is a lot of different stuff out there. Well, sometimes, I mean, you know, you have to have your dreamers. You have to have, you know, folks that want to do things that have never been done before, like I'm trying to do, you know. And so without that, you don't get anywhere. But if, if it's all predictable and just based on money, then you don't have the passion. You don't have the, the drive. You don't have the creativity. So you got, you got those two forces competing against each other. Well, passion is well and good, but it won't put any food on the table. Okay, so you have to have, so you have plan B, right? So you've got plan A is the, is the wild dream and, and plan B is the money, or do you do you think the money plan first and then I have the think, dream? I think if you have time, yeah, you know, you, money is important. You have to make money. Yes, you have to survive. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that is true. Okay. So do you think that uh, now if Bernie Sanders' uh, plan went through, he wanted free college for everybody. So we'd have the double problem of people that had no responsibility to pay back for the things that they didn't learn in school to make money. So then where would we be with a Bernie plan? Well, they're already in school six or seven years now. I suppose that will go to 10 or 12 uh, if it were free. That's right? I never thought about that. If college is free, is there any restriction on how long you can stay? Well, it's not free yet. but uh, No, but I'm just saying, I, I but if, yeah. would that be part of the plan? You know, and is there a limit? You can say, oh, it's free for like the first four years, and if you don't anything after that, are we going to charge for that? I can't imagine where, would that, where, be where that would go. I can't imagine where that yeah. would go. Well, this is where my mind kind of races to uh, to things that you know. I think, well, wait a minute. If this is this, then then where do we go from there? Okay, let's um, and this and any of these topics are fair game. Again, fair tax, flat tax, gold standard. You know, college costs. Uh, the Trump tax reform, all these things we can talk about right now. Phone number 623-1330, area code 850-623-1330. I've got um, Congressman Matt Gaetz, um whole 
right up on the tax plan. So I want to kind of go over this bit by bit and just ask you a bunch of really obnoxious questions and see what you can do with it. Um, they're talking about three tax brackets. Can you explain what a bracket is so people uh, get an idea what that actually means? Well, taxes, a flat tax would mean you pay the same rate of tax on the entire amount of taxable income. So okay. if, a, if, you're, if we had a flat tax at 10%, that means 10% of all your taxable income would be taxed at 10%. Okay, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. It's a, it, it, see, it would be a much easier and simpler method. Um, mm -hmm. But a, a, a bracket a progressive tax, which was um, actually proposed by Karl Marx. In the Communist Manifesto. It's like the third <laughs> plank. Frederick yeah. Angles, so, so right. people know that, that our, our tax, tax system is based on communism? Let's just lay it out there right on the, on the table. That's what it's going And anytime you hear progressive, just substitute the word communist, and you're probably going to be pretty accurate. Well, that's where it originated. Yeah. And uh, the, the brackets from 10, uh, 12 to 25 to 35, okay. that means the first, the lowest part of the income would be taxed at 12%. Then once okay. beyond that level, it becomes taxable at 25%. And then beyond that, yeah. it's 35 We don't know where that's going to land yet, what those uh, limits will be. Okay. Uh, but that's what a progressive tax is. First, okay. I think the assumption is that you know the rich are taxed at 39.4% or whatever it is. They're taxed on their entire income at that, and that's not true. Well, the higher the income gets, the more right. true it gets, okay. because then the earlier amounts of lower tax becomes less of a factor and less of a percentage of their overall tax. Okay. So it, it's, it's close to being true. Okay, so in the 12% so bracket, so if you're in the 12% bracket, if you're earning minimum wage or you're earning multi-millions of dollars, for a certain amount of income, everybody's going to pay that 12%. Then they, when you get when your income rises up to the next level, then you pay the next level's bracket, and it kind of goes up from there. That's right. Okay. That's right. So why does the government do that? Why do they tax people more uh, at a certain point uh, for making more income? They're, the percentage they have to pay goes up. So you're actually taxing people who are making more money more than they would pay if they made less money. Isn't that an incentive to not make so much money? Well, at some point it does. Uh, okay. Well, if you go to the Laffer curve, uh -huh. the Laffer uh, in the 70s, right. an economist, was actually pretty pretty brilliant. And he designed this, what he called the Laffer curve, at, at some point because sometimes um, – tax and spend liberals want mm -hmm. to increase the taxes to certain rates and they say wait a minute if you increase it to that rate yeah. people will just stop working and stop producing and so the actual result will be a lower tax revenue okay. and the Laffer curve tries to pinpoint although it hasn't doesn't really have any accurate accurate exact numbers but there yeah. is a point at which increasing a tax rate decreases tax revenue and yeah. that's that's, uh, does the curve reverse at some point, or does it like, peak at some point? It, uh, I'm not sure exactly where it peaks, because okay. they really don't know. It's most, more of a guess, but they know at some point. Mm -hmm. For example, if you're, if you're taxed at 25%, right. and all of a sudden you're taxed uh, above a certain point at 94%, well, you're going to say, well, listen, I'm, not, I'm going to the beach today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to earn money that? and what, pay what? This to is get going 6% the, of it. Like you know? Eisenhower, the tax rate was like 94 or something percent. Well, Who was paying that? Well, at that time, there were a lot of deductions. There were okay. a lot of deductions, and, but, and that, that actually uh, led to the alternative minimum tax. Which is what? Which is an alternative way of calculating the tax okay. based on fewer deductions. For example, no state uh, tax deductions, no property tax deductions, yeah. no business tax deductions, which oh. is where the new tax law is actually going. It's almost getting to a kind of an alternative minimum tax. For everybody. Yeah. Because yeah. Trump wanted to get rid of that 
I guess he was. That was a huge amount that he was paying because of the alternative minimum. Well, that is yeah. true. I, I have. I look at every presidential candidate's tax returns, and that is true. His entire tax bill was the alternative minimum tax. You saw Trump's tax returns? Well, the, the only the one that was published. Oh, okay. Two thousand five, I think it was. Oh, okay. Just curious. But um, the alternative minimum tax hits right. more and more people, okay. and, and um, you know, it's. I have a number of clients, and you know, they're shocked that how come I had to pay to, what's it, between how the alternative minimum tax was calculated and how the ordinary income tax was calculated. If the AMT okay. is higher, then that's the added amount onto your tax. Uh-huh. And that AMT would be higher because they take the income and do not allow certain deductions. So you have to make over a certain amount before you're in the AMT range? Is that how it works? Yeah. I mean, roughly you know, higher income taxpayers, but um, okay. it, it's hitting more and more people in the $200,000 range now. Yeah. I know the uh, the states that tax too much are screaming because they're, they're going to lose their... Uh, their deduction, you know, because I guess a lot of people, if you're in California paying 13% income tax to the state and you can't deduct that 13% from your federal tax, then that's going to be 13% extra you're going to pay this year, right? Well, that's right. And the states of Oregon and Minnesota are about 10%. And okay. you've got New Jersey, Iowa, a couple others at nine. Yeah. And so if you're making $200,000, that's okay. $20,000 if your taxable income is two hundred. Right. That's $20,000 that, you know, you're not able to deduct. Ooh, so that's that, big. So that the, the current proposal is mm-hmm. for $24,000 for a married joint couple. Okay. That's yeah. standard deduction. Standard deduction. Okay. Now, if you get 20000 in state tax, you're probably going to have some property taxes. So okay. it's probably, it will hurt certain people in those, yeah. in, in those states. Yeah. Well, of course, my solution, is, my solution is why don't those states just lower their income tax and help out their, their, their more productive, wealthier people? Well, they don't want to. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Because everybody says, oh, we can't do that because the high-tax states are... And I'm saying, well, why are the high-tax... No one's approaching it from the angle, why don't you just have the high-tax states lower their taxes? Florida doesn't even have an income tax. How do we do it? Well, I think uh, this is an opportunity to placate a number of groups okay. with adjusting to this, um, this proposal of the tax law. Okay. Because California is screaming, you know, they're all whining about we won't be able to deduct this. And they're, they're right. Well, they're screaming at everything. But if you only get $24,000 and you're paying twenty five and, and you have 50000 and normally in itemized deductions that are, are no longer allowed, okay. you know, they, they're going to pay more tax. So hmm. I think that that standard deduction has to be increased and probably will be increased. Okay. And if it is increased to $35,000, it will placate two groups. The higher income people who are paying taxes and either will actually benefit from it, right. and the lower income people who won't start to pay taxes until a later, uh, a higher level of income. Yeah. See, I would just go right to a $50,000 exemption. You well, know, I'd just take most of the people in this country, because I think the average uh, income is like around 33, 35, somewhere in there. And so if you just make a, a big uh, income tax deduction, one, you know, one very large standard deduction, get rid of everything else and just, and just pay 10% above that. Well, it's you know, a, it, be, I'm okay. I'm good with that. But okay. it, it, it takes uh, you have to kind of look at the not just the um, the income level, but what happens to a family with okay. three kids. Okay. You know, family with three kids today, if they're under 16, right, they can make almost sixty thousand dollars without paying any income tax. So we're already there. So in that case, well, who's under 16? I, I, I see that look in your eye. Well, <laughs> well you said under under sixteen. What I was uh, under sixteen years of age. If they have three kids under sixteen years of age. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, you know, the kids, kids aren't working. You had me confused there for a minute. All right. Well, they so, get they get they dependency get, exemptions right. for these kids. Three of them. Okay. Plus two for themselves. That's uh-huh. over twenty thousand dollars. Right. Plus they get a standard deduction of thirteen, almost thirteen thousand. That's thirty three thousand dollars off in their income tax. Okay. So that puts their income tax at about three thousand dollars. 
which is completely eliminated by the child tax credit. Okay. So a family of five with three kids under 16, they can make about $60,000 not paying income tax already. Huh. Do they get um, money back or, or money beyond well, what their income that's, is? That's a sore, that's a sore subject. <laughs> I know, this is why I have, I have to do it. So, cause I know, and, do, and do welfare people get all the tax credits and all the, well, uh, the, the, the head of household and things like that? Well, a lot of times we wonder why, um, if barter income is taxable, why is not welfare income? Yeah. That's what I'm I wondering. don't know why it isn't. Uh, but well, it, it comes isn't. from the, well. It seems silly because it comes from the taxpayers. So you you sort of tax the money that came from the taxpayers. It seems kind of silly to tax that. But uh, that's my question: Are people getting benefits on top of benefits? You know, do they, do they get to the child tax credit if they earn no money on our own welfare the whole time? Well, you're talking about an earned income an earned income tax credit. It's okay, and you know what it was called? Lower lower earning um, people. Usually, the sweet spot they call that okay. is about twenty five thousand dollars, and you can get six roughly six thousand dollars additional. If yeah. you make less than twenty five thousand, no. If oh. you have a, if you have a few kids okay. and you and you are um, and you, your income is like twenty five or twenty six thousand in that range, yeah. which is not very much income. So the government will write you a check for six thousand dollars, roughly, even if you didn't pay any tax at all. Yeah. And every time this happens, and I have to do these because that's my job. Right. Um, but every time this happens, I make it clear that this is not a refund. It is a payment from the government that comes from the Treasury. Comes from the taxpayers. Tax legislation. <laughs> yeah. It's not a refund. A refund, by definition, uh-huh. is something that you paid in, right. and then you get some of it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you're not paying anything you're not in. paying in, it's not a refund. You're, you're, yet. Get, you're, getting, a, you're getting a welfare check, so it's basically tax welfare, right. which leads to the question of, of tax fraud. Um, you know, the, the big claim is that the illegal aliens are contributing to our society and they're, they're paying their taxes. First of all, I wrote a whole article determined, you know, proving that it was illegal for illegal aliens to pay taxes because they're not allowed to contribute, so you can't use that as an excuse. Oh, you haven't seen my article yet. I'll, I'll send it to you. My 14th Amendment thing, where I proved that uh, illegal aliens, first of all, have no right to be here, but it's also unconstitutional for us to keep them because we're depriving them of the rights of their own country. How's that for an argument? Well, I think you like that one. I don't think it will work, but well, I'm, yeah, I'll, I'll post the article on Facebook. But I, I've already had it. But and the other thing was, I proved that uh, by the you know that the country uh, whose illegal aliens we are holding here or interning here, as I actually put it, um, are then being their country is being deprived of them. And so for those reasons, it's illegal for us to keep illegal aliens. It's also illegal for illegal aliens to contribute through taxes because they have no claim to be here. Therefore, they can't contribute to being here. And that's why that excuse doesn't work that they can stay because they're contributing and paying taxes. How's that for an argument? I like it. Thank you. I like it. I do the best I'm I can. I'm not sure how far it'll go. but well, Listen, somebody's got to be on the vanguard. Someone's got to be so far on the extreme edge that I drag everybody else with me. This is my job, okay, to come up with the legal theories that nobody else ever thinks of. I'm going to post this for you guys so you can see this. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk um, about the philosophy of taxation, the difference between why a liberal taxes and why a conservative taxes. I'm going to put that to Chris. I'll let you think about that for a couple minutes. Chris Barr is my guest here on the Action Radio Hour. Greg Penglis here, 1330 WEBY, Northwest Florida's Talk Radio. We'll be back. How you doing there, A-Dog? We haven't had a chance to chat much. Oh, I'm busy, busy, busy. Know. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's okay. Do we, have, was, we need some appropriate tax songs we haven't heard for a while. 
Anyway, the phones are open, 623-1330. I know you're fascinated by our chat here. And between Chris and me, it's tough to get a word in. But I do want to hear from you. So 850-AREA-CODE-623-1330. Something I just thought of as we're talking, I had all these preparation notes. I've thrown most of them away because we're, we're getting to other stuff here. But the philosophy of taxation, why does a liberal tax and why does a conservative tax? How do they come up with, why do they do what they do? I think it's based on their view of what the role of government is. Okay. And I'm afraid that we are diametrically opposed at this point. Okay. Um, the conservatives believe the role of government is to fund a limited government so, right. that, so that people can work and live and protect, be protected. I think a liberal's primary view is wealth redistribution. Okay. And, um, you know, so that, that is one of the reasons for the progressive income tax to mm -hmm. redistribute wealth from those who are Communist earning a lot tax. <laughs> to earning a lot yeah. to those who, who don't. And, yeah. um, Yes. It's 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 a role of government that is defined very differently, yeah. and uh, I'm afraid that we're not really close anymore. I mean, it's like we have two completely opposite ends of the spectrum now. It's not like we can say, well, we want to do this, but we want to do it a little differently. We don't even want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> How do they justify that, the liberals, with the Constitution, which you know gives us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to say that we want to distribute or read? Actually, not redistributing. They're they're distributing wealth. They're taking wealth. You know, it's sort of like Robin Hood in reverse, where uh, you know they're, they're taking wealth from from people that earned it and give it to people that don't, and that somehow score, and they can somehow rationalize that and still swear notes of the Constitution to protect private property and limit the government. How do they do that in their minds? Well, I think it makes them feel good to be able to give other people money, but okay. the problem is that money is coming from other people, yeah. not themselves. Yeah. Uh, it's been a there's been a lot of research done that um, shows that conservatives tend to give more generously to charities other than government right. and, and uh, liberals don't give so much now that's obviously not true for in all cases but right. it's true it's true a lot so they're in their minds they don't want to give because they think they should be taking this the government should be giving but they want it to be done so they right. want it to be done by someone else yeah yeah and then there are strings attached too so in other words they'll give but you have to behave properly you have to do you know certain things to get the money you know, and so if you're a good person, then it's like, you know, it's like the whole illegal thing where they have, you know, they're giving as much money as they can and sanctuary cities to get people here um, to, uh, you know, because that's just their philosophy, even though it goes directly against law to do that. I thought the other day, I want to run by you too, that the minimum wage, if they raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, that's going to raise the amount that employers have to pay for Social Security and Medicare as well. And I, I forgot the guest I was talking to you about this, but do you think that's part of it, secretly an agenda that if they get the minimum wage up, then they will also get uh, the other payments up as well? Um, I'd have to say no, because okay. even though they deny it, right. they know that by raising the minimum wage is going to have a result in a lot of layoffs. So will, okay. they, even, will they even receive more income? That's in question. I don't mm. know that they will. I, I mean, if, you, if you've got a certain um, labor expense that you can tolerate in your business, right. you know, it has to stay there. You, know, you can only raise the prices so much before people don't buy anymore. And so right. the, as far as the wage going up to $15, they won't have as much. The payroll may be very similar in aggregate. The total payroll may be the same or slightly more. I don't okay. see that increasing... Um, Social Security, Medicare. Okay, so, payments. well, oh, the, I thought it was a good theory, but, but then it gets back to the original thought of if you're going to raise the wage that much, you're looking at half the labor doing twice the work for the same amount of labor cost available. Well, that's right. I mean, they're going to, you know, businesses, have, they have to do what they have to do. They have, right. We have uh, expenses and we have costs of doing business. Uh -huh. And those costs, uh, a big part of it is labor. Yeah. What do you see with businesses around here? What are some of the big obstacles to uh, 
to them going as far as, as taxes or government policies or regulations or things like that? Well, we all have to deal with the regulations, whatever they are, you know, right. if we want to stay in business. It's a lot harder now to get into business today okay. than it used to be. Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, 25 years ago, you know, you could start a business with a business card and a shoestring. Okay. But now it seems like the regulations are, are you know, as you, as you go along in business, as they're piled on, you know, there's one more regulation. Well, you can deal with that. Right. You know, you've, you've been doing it. You'd have okay. There's two more this year. There's one more next year, and maybe next year you get a break. Right. But when you start with all these regulations, it's very difficult to, yeah. to just to get going. I mean, first day I opened my office here, we had a visit from um, from the state um, workers' comp. Very day, day one. you opened day one. They they knew when to to drop by and what, what, what were they investigating? I mean, workers' comp. They wanted to make sure we didn't have uh, too many employees who were not covered by workers' comp. Okay, and so How, does, doesn't everybody have to be covered by that, or is it a special class? Well, well, there are certain limits. Okay, <laughs> three three or less usually you don't have to, but um, okay. you know it's it's it, you would think. I mean, how much how much danger is there in a tax business? You know. That's, know. you know, <laughs> I don't know, what, paper cuts? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that actually is interesting. Now, it, I had a guest uh, on Monday, Anthony Williams, who's an MBA, and he does a lot of consulting for small businesses, sales, marketing, things like that, to help get them going. I should get you two together on a show one day, and we'll talk about barriers to entry for various businesses. He was talking about it, things from the, the restaurant business, where uh, uh, law now mandates you have to buy all this stainless steel equipment because it's, it's extremely expensive, and it's mm -hmm. not any better than anything else because they have the cleaning standards. So, so that's something. Are there tax barriers to entry that big business has lobbied for things, and they have an advantage over small business? Well, I think all businesses have to run the gamut of, uh, you know, the, the regulation minefield. You okay. know, we just have to just have to see what applies in our businesses, and, you know, they're all different. Yeah. So it's, it just seems like every, no matter what step you want to take, there's mm -hmm. something in the way that you have to step over or, or, or you know, somehow handle. Okay. So. Maybe we should do. We should uh, sit down sometime and go over various businesses and see if we can uh, come up with some simplifications or regulations that aren't needed. And that gets to a, a program I have. One of my uh, proposed bills is the Department of Freedom. And so no government's ever had a Department of Freedom ever, which systematically goes through the executive at uh, the federal level and gets rid of regulations that, they, that are unconstitutional. So it's, it's sort of like a check on itself. And I don't know how exactly to work it out yet, but I wonder if we could have like a state or maybe a local, you know, branches of the Department of Freedom <coughs> whereby they would take uh, into consideration, you know, obsolete regulations that are just sitting out there that are barriers for businesses that don't need to be there. Hmm. Would this be a department that we'd have to fund with our property taxes? I don't know yet. <laughs> I worked out all the details, but uh, I'm exploring uh, things here. Um, what else we got in this plan here? So we're going to double the standard deduction. And uh, do they still have a marriage penalty, so-called, or, or no? not really? Not okay. really. Single is half is half of what the mar married married uh, filing jointly is. Okay. But that has to go up if they're going to really think this law is going to be um, going to pass. They mm -hmm. have to increase that standard deduction to like probably 35,000 or, or more. Okay, so they're looking at 24 now. How do, how do they get come up with these numbers? Well, I don't think they really thought it through, honestly. I think they just okay. they just want to change it and try to make it easier. Right. But basically, 24, I mean, if you're married filing jointly, you're mm -hmm. already at 21 because you've got almost 13 as a standard deduction plus 8. Okay. Is, is That's it. under this law, not the cur current law. Is like uh, under the current law. Oh, it is. It's already tw it's already 20. It's already 21 because this this new law does not include personal exemptions. So. You're okay. at 21 already right. without any deductions. Okay. So this isn't really that much. Now, it depends, again, it depends on where the tax brackets fall. Yeah. That's why it would be so much easier to get rid of all these brackets and, and just, uh, well, you know. The fair tax would accomplish that nicely. Tell us about the fair tax. 
let's, let's get our, 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 our 30, 60 second synopsis of what this is. Because Congressman Gates is in favor of a fair tax, and he's on the budget committee, so there might be a way to. I still want to get you two chatting, and I don't know quite how to do it yet, but we'll work on that. Well, the, the fair tax, uh-huh. um, first of all, it, you know, we have to deal in reality. Okay. It is what it is. The IRS controls the, is is the tax governing arm, mm-hmm. and we have to do what we have to do. The, the laws are the laws. They may not be what we want them to be, but they are, we have to abide by them. Okay. The fair tax is an alternative, which would be basically a national sales tax. Okay. The IRS and all income tax filing, and it would reduce it to sales tax filing. Okay. Now, um, so only businesses who collect sales tax would have to do this, right? No. Uh, any time you buy, right? Any time you buy something, right? Um, new something new. For example, um, you know, if you bought oh something new, something so, new. So the used car dealer wouldn't have to pay. No. Wouldn't no. pay sales tax on used cars. Tax. No, 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 because it, when 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 items are manufactured, whether it's a house or a car or anything else, right. embedded in that is an awful lot of tax. Okay. There's payroll taxes, people who are paid, and that payroll tax and all those taxes embedded and all the expenses uh-huh. that comes to about twenty two percent. So it's already really? built in. It's of a, of a, all right, let's, let's follow through. Let's, let's take a car, for example. Okay. So, so you, the car company wants to build a car. Well, they're going to need rubber. They're going to need steel. They're right. going to need – what else are they going to need? So they're getting all so of these materials, materials right. from different places, okay. and all along the way, they can't, there is embedded taxes. Are there sales taxes on all those goods? No, no, generally not, but there's payroll taxes because those okay. people who are providing that have, right. to pay the payroll, have to pay payroll taxes. Income tax that they're paying mm-hmm. based on – the income that they expect to generate or that they did generate. So there's all kind of tax embedded in everything that we buy already. Okay. So the, the study that was done uh, about the fair tax shows that that, that amount is about 22%, and, and that's how much that we are, uh, the prices of goods would be reduced if we didn't have any income tax. So what they're going to do is back that out and say, well, the fair tax, mm-hmm. if the sales tax were that much, okay. bringing the price back up to a dollar, Say it's a dollar and down to seventy-eight cents, back up to a dollar, and if it was embedded at the point of sale, then the prices would be the same. Very likely, within a, within a percent or two. Oh, okay. So, you're, so instead of paying all these these taxes on the way through the production process, right. you, you they're you, embedded, and the consumer still pays either way, right? But this con- is this is always the thing with with, with corporate tax. You you know you're going to pay it. As a consumer, you're going to pay it whether it's embedded or whether it's generated at the at the point of sale, as you're saying, right? Right, right. Okay. But the difference really is that the current tax code that we have, okay. it, a lot of it is based on behavior modification. You do this, you get this deduction. You, you do that, you get that deduction. Which is crazy. And, and social um, engineering, I think that's called, right? So exactly. So okay. what happens is, you know, when you when you um, when you buy things, this is consumption, and okay. consumption doesn't change as much as income does. People oh. have to consume. Right. Relatively evenly throughout the year. But for, like we have major declines. For example, when the towers were hit in New York, right. we, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs, but consumption changed very little. Huh. The income changed because mm-hmm. people, a lot of people were out of work. They lost, right. you know, and that's what happens when, when, um, when income is off, tax revenues are off. But consumption stays level, relatively level. Plus, don't forget, consumption, if it's based on consumption, you're going to get the hit man. Who's going to start to pay taxes? He's, he's behind you in Walmart. He's the one with the bulge in his pocket. You okay, know, you know, and the <laughs> for, drug dealer for, for his ammo cost. The drug dealers, okay. the drug dealers, they go to Walmart. Yeah. You know, they're going to be paying all of this tax, so which they never did before. And everyone coming in, all our all our tourists going to Disneyland, they'll be paying this tax. Okay. So that's why one of the reasons that this is going to be a much this would be a much broader base. Okay. 
And um, this, I could go into more of it, but I, uh, progressive, uh, regressive, all that kind well, of stuff. Well, there's actually a prebate that they that is built into this proposal where yeah. everyone with a social security number, every citizen with a social not security a tax number, ID number, right, or that whatever that that fake tax number that illegal well, aliens get, it, or what? As I read the law at the time, it was a social security number, right? But I suppose they could change that. But yeah. would receive a monthly prebate based on uh, taxable um, items that one would have to use normally right. in uh, like basic needs. So poor folks aren't being taxed on Exactly. On so they would, they would get buy. $400 roughly. Say yeah. a family of three might get, say, $500 a month. Okay. That's 6000 a year. That's what they would get in an earned income tax credit. Try to explain that. <laughs> that this is a good thing, yeah, and it, it just it just goes way beyond way beyond so the same amount of money, but it's, it's done in a much you know more fair way. We're gonna take another break, and so again, questions feel free six two three thirteen thirty, uh, area code eight five zero six two three thirteen thirty. We are as usual all over the place <laughs> and, and having way too much fun at it. Chris Barrow is my guest uh, on thirteen thirty WEBY. I'll be back. There we go. That's, that's our appropriate music. Thank you, A-Duck. Um, one thing I want to talk about real quickly uh, before we get to Carl's on the line right now, I just want to mention it, is that I did um, uh, a chat on uh, ending the withholding tax so that people would actually get their full paychecks. And I had far more people objecting to that than wanting that because they didn't want to have to uh, think about you know what to do. They'd rather have the government take all their money out and get a so-called refund, which is really the government using your money and giving you a little bit of it back. And so, I, but I found that whole thing fascinating. That there's a lot of resistance to this in people that you wouldn't think would be resistant to, you know, the kind of tax reforms, you know, to get rid of things like the withholding. Well, I think it's because they know themselves. They know yeah. they won't save enough money to pay the tax. Yeah. You know, if you look at your paycheck and you see how much has been withheld, at the end of the year, you don't want to have to multiply that by 52 and then pay it in. Yeah. Yeah, which is why exactly why I want to get rid of withholding taxes. So there's such a tax revolt in this country yeah. that we start uh, screaming and yelling. Let's get uh, Carl in on the discussion. Carl, go ahead. Hey, good morning. Morning. Hey, I have a question, and I uh, want to see if uh, Mr. Barrow would weigh in on it. And sure. What he thinks about it. Uh, Warren Buffett, I think I've heard him say, and I've heard other people said that he said this, that he pays less tax than his secretary. And I just wondered if Mr. Barrow had any insight into that, if that's true or not, and why that might be? That is a great question. Um, what, I think so, too. <laughs> what happens, he says he pays at a lower rate than his secretary. And what happens when you earn income, and you earn a lot of income, you're going to pay a lot of tax. And that tax rate currently is nearly 40%. But after you've earned the income, then you get a choice. You can say, I want to invest in things that aren't quite as taxable like municipal bonds, they don't pay tax. Dividends are taxed lower. So he's investing in very, and, and because his income is so massive, these investments are bringing down his, his rate, his, 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 what would be uh, described as a flat rate, a percentage of the income that he earned, his tax rate, because he's got so much in non-taxable uh, income, uh, maybe securities or municipal bonds or dividends at 15%. And so this brings down his overall tax rate. But uh, it's a very disingenuous thing to say because the first time you get taxed, you get taxed on earned income because when you earn it, you're taxed at the highest rate. When you decide to invest it, you're taxed at a lower rate. And the reason for that is behavior modification. They, they want us to invest. Yeah. Uh, how about a follow-up on that? Sure. Uh, I think uh, 
uh, Donald Trump had said when he was running that he sort of uh, got on hedge fund managers that they don't pay taxes or don't pay enough or something like that. So is that uh, an equivalent type thing? There's certain um, transfers that they can make that would be um, under the tax code, in, like an exchange, and they're able to exchange. But as far as the income that they're earning, they're, they're paying tax on the income that they're earning, like, say, wages and salaries at the rates that we're paying. It's the internal in stuff that they're talking about. And I, I looked at this about a, uh, about a year and a half ago or so, and I wasn't really clear on exactly what it was. But what they're doing is they're exchanging income and uh, they're able to do that at a, at a lower rate or at no rate. Hmm. Yeah. So if I buy a stock and it goes up and I sell it, then that's income, taxable income, right, if, if I don't have some angle on it. Well, uh, well right. If it's, in, if it's inside a retirement plan. Now, a retirement plan, um, this is why, you know, uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of people get confused. The, the portfolio management is different from a, for a retirement plan than it would be for an ordinary income um, portfolio. I mean, a retirement plan, if you sell that stock, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no tax impact. So uh, in an, if it's ordinary income, yes, you'd pay capital gains tax on it. And if it's over a year, it would be long-term at a little bit lower rate, depending on your bracket. Okay. So if it stays in my IRA or a traditional IRA, then if I don't take it out, if it goes back into that IRA, then it's uh, not a doesn't create a tax. Right, and it makes decisions easier, too, if you think about it. If you have an IRA account or, or a tax-deferred account, and you say, well, I get this stock, and it did really, really well, I'd like to sell it, but I don't want to get hammered on tax. Hmm. But if it's inside an IRA, that part of the equation is eliminated. It makes it easier to manage your portfolio if, if, if under those circumstances. Okay. You can say, I want to sell it because I'm going to make money. There you go. You don't usually okay. go broke making a profit. Hey, I appreciate you being on. It's very interesting. Thank well, thank you. you. Thanks, Carl. There we go. So, uh, number sixty-three, thirteen, thirty. Anybody else wants to uh, get on? But we don't, don't want to turn into like a private tax <laughs> you know, session here. With, uh, that's okay. That was that was fun. That was really interesting. Um, something I heard about several years ago, and I don't know if, if anything ever came of it. it. Was like a big thing going around the talk shows at the time. Something called the comprehensive budget. And so, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, uh, Chris, because there's a guy going around uh, saying that there's there's two budgets. The governments have the the one that they publish uh, for everybody, and then they have this kind of like this secret budget, uh, and it has everything that the government makes money on. They're the land that they hold, the buildings that they hold. It's got all kinds of extra things in it, and it's almost like this this secret budget. And apparently, somebody got an accidental one from Congress way back when. And I'm just remembering off when. Did you ever hear anything about that? Not really. I mean, okay. you know, obviously there's land that they own and there's, there's income they make that doesn't come directly from the taxpayers, but, yeah. no, I, I really wouldn't know okay. anything about so that. So where else would government make money, um, just out of curiosity? Where Do they have other sources we don't know about? Well, <laughs> not really. I mean, they make okay. money from taxation, you okay. know, the taxation, fees, fines. Okay. Um, I, I, wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes what happens to the fines when someone is heavily fined, for example, a, oh, a major bank. I can tell you this one. This this one's great. There was a huge scandal at the EPA not that long ago. What they were what the Obama administration was doing, which is why I'm so glad they're gone, um, is that they were taking fines from companies that were that they found in violation of EPA rules, and they were giving it to leftist environmental organizations. They were actually following money, and that's one of the things the Trump administration stopped. And so that's a huge scandal. Didn't hear that in the liberal news, did you? We know. We go have ahead. to wonder where these fines go. You yeah. know, I, you know, I, I've wondered. Is there an accounting? Is there a list of, of fines collected per agency? I in, think in, if you 
it probably is protected under the Freedom of Information Act. You probably wouldn't be able to get it. You can't get that information? No, I don't know. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm I, curious. I, I, I think it would be very tough to get any accurate information like that, but maybe you could. I mean, if mm-hmm. you, I suppose you could. Okay. I'll come back and talk about your book, uh, and I also want to find out what you would do if you could create an ideal tax system. What would it look like? And I'll give you a couple of my ideas as well. It's 847. We don't have a whole lot of time left. Obviously, I'm going to have Chris back because we have too much to talk about as far as taxes go. Phone number here, 623-1330, area code 850-623-1330. We'll be right back in just a little bit. Now we're talking. We're just talking airplanes for a minute here. There's got to be a way to get the WBY airplane. There's got to be a way we can write that off somehow, some way. I gotta maybe we'll use it for like a sheriff search and rescue and something like that, and I'll fly it on weekends for fun. Or you know, so we, we gotta. Uh, that's my project. Help me get an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be tax deductible. You could you could have a business years ago. Um, that airplanes business corporate airplanes were really developed because because uh, they were tax deductible, and now they're not. Well, it's hard for business to justify it as an ordinary and business expense. That's one of the reasons. Yeah. It's it's if you really need it, you can still deduct it. Okay. Have we lost a lot of deductions that would help us for business and private use over the years? Uh, I mean, it changes it changes regularly, but okay. I would say no. You know, certain things change and ter- certain um, okay. n- rules are redefined or mm-hmm. clarified, but no, I wouldn't say there's a lot of changes in what you can deduct if it's related. The, the BARA tax system, if you could redo our taxes in a way that made sense, what would you do? Well, I think it's already been done. I think the fair tax, okay. uh, really. Um I, I, I agree with you that I don't like it being revenue neutral because there's so much money that's wasted. But We should explain that, what that means. Well, revenue neutral means that the fair tax percentage that they came up with mm-hmm. um, was designed to be the same amount of money that would be pulled in through an income tax. Right. So that means okay. it's neutral. It's the same. So they're not addressing sounds, any kind it, of waste. It sounds like so, so passive. Well, it's revenue neutral, so it's not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. But in actual fact, it's, it's revenue, you know, as opposed to what I would call revenue positive, as opposed to revenue negative, where they get even more money, revenue positive, they get less money. And all that seems kind of weird way to talk about it. But uh, I would, uh, the modification I had to the fair tax is that it's graduated. And so it's graduated down every, say, you know, 2% every, every two years. So if you start off at 23%, two years later it's 21%, two years later it's 19%. And the point of that is to gradually wean Congress off the money so that they are forced to reduce their spending. And along with that, you have a mandatory, you know, you can't add to the debt <laughs> thing as well. You can't borrow money during a time of national debt. Well, it isn't just that um, they're, they're not spending less money. They want to spend more every year. I know. That's the problem. Uh, so so we, we need to have debt reduction yep. as well as, or mandatory debt reduction. Uh, that has to come into law, too, and that's another action radio bill. Let's, uh, let's get to Terry and get your question. Terry, go ahead. Greg, I've got an answer to your desirable plane. Oh, thank you. Uh, the forestry department, and, and I don't know if they still do this or not, but they used to pay private citizens to fly what they call fire watch, where you just fly around the area uh-huh. looking for wildfires. Okay. So you need to contact them and see if you can work out a deal with them to that where they'll pay you enough where you can buy you a little plane, a little piper or something. To fly yeah. <laughs> well, I think like an Icon A5, which is a two-seat amphibian that would be extremely useful for uh, for for law enforcement, for search and rescue, for uh, you know shark patrol, you name it. And I'd I love to find a way to have it pay for itself. But you're right, and I think it's a great idea. Also, I want to talk about, and we're going to have a show on this: the Civil Air Patrol. 
And so this yeah. is where civilian pilots joined the Air Force Auxiliary. And in World War II, these guys were looking for, for U-boats. You know, this is, they, they've, been, they've done amazingly useful work. Uh, in San Francisco earthquake, it was all Civil Air Patrol guys that were doing the earthquake relief, uh, hurricane relief around here. Civil Air Patrol did, did thousands of flights, uh, a lot of air, for everything from aerial photography to, uh, to search and rescue to supply delivery and things like that. So there are ways to do it, and believe me, I'm looking into all of them. I just have to get Well, to, con- yeah. contact the Forestry Department. Okay. See if they still offer that incentive for private uh, pilots to fly looking firewatch. I love okay? it. Yeah, thank Hi. you. Appreciate it, Terry. There we go. Okay. So, um, so you like the idea of, of graduating the fair tax down? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I'm limited government. It okay. seems like the more the more they have, the more they'll waste. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we did that, though, like I say, it would have to be coupled with debt reduction. So, in other words, if you're reducing the revenue, what they're going to say, and this is what was really strange. Nancy Pelosi gets up, and and she all of a sudden sounds like a conservative, you know, budget hawk. She says you, you can't have the Trump tax plan because it's going to it's going to break the deficit. It's going to increase the national debt. I thought, who who is this person? And what has she done with Nancy Pelosi? Because this isn't, you know, all of a sudden, the minute you try and, and change the tax plan or limit the amount of money that the liberals think they want, they all of a sudden start sounding like conservatives, and they have this ridiculous thing we need to talk about. How are you going to pay for the tax cut? Go well, ahead. Well, I'm not sure how much of a tax cut there really is. I mean, it seems yeah. like the um, the, the uh, accounting office, that the, the government accounting office came up with uh-huh. how much it was going to cost us tri- $2 trillion or something over the yeah. next 10 years. How they could do that before Trump even finished his speech is beyond me. Yeah. They don't have the brackets set. They don't really know where they're going to be. And they haven't even decided on, um, you know, if, if, if they're assuming the bracket's going to be lower than they maybe than they are, they, mm-hmm. maybe you can do that math. But, but they're also assuming they're not they're, even close to being passed. But they're assuming that, that when the bracket lowers, you get less money rather than getting more money. You know, if, if you get a growing economy, a lower tax rate, more economic activity, that lower tax rate by the Laffer curve is actually going to bring in more money. But they can't see that. They don't understand that. that they're not looking at the revenue. They're looking at the tax rate because they want to punish and redistribute. Well, that's been, pro- that's been proven over and over again. That, yeah. uh, reduced tax rates tend to bring in more. People will earn more income and oftentimes yeah. pay more tax. Yeah, but it's just the fact that they would rather see a higher tax rate uh, than well, get more money. I think that's because their whole idea of the role of government yeah. is wealth redistribution. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily funding a limited government. It's right. how are we going to take money away from people who earn it and give it to those who don't. Yeah. So the goal is not how the tax money is spent like a conservative would do. The, the goal is to get as much tax money as possible because that's, that gives you control. Well, you can buy more votes with more money. That's true. We haven't even gotten into uh, the illegality of government unions and their their whole you know sort of separation from the people that pay the money, which are the taxpayers. Um, paying for a tax cut is a, we only got like a minute or so left. I want to get into this real quick because this concept makes no sense to me. You don't pay for a tax cut; you pay for a tax increase. And it, the, and there is a separation between the tax and the spending. If you want to, if you cut taxes and there's all of a sudden a deficit problem, you can fix that by cutting spending. But they never want to go there. 30 seconds left, it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, in order to cut spending, first they have to stop growing. Okay. It's like if you get a ship at sea and it's got a hole in it, you don't start bailing it till you plug the hole. Yeah. And that's as, really as simple as that. Stop overspending and stop increasing, and then maybe we can start decreasing the budget. Okay, that's what we have to pick up next time. Thank you, Chris. This has been fun. Good to be and here. So, yeah, yeah. So we're going to work on our, our bills. We'll get them presented to you in Action Radio. Website is still in progress. We're going to...
Revolution Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. Well, wouldn't you know it that uh, right in the middle of my uh, my replay of my interview with uh, Chris Barra, uh, the microphone cuts out, <laughs> which means the headset cuts out, which means I'm back on the cell phone. Fortunately, we got the whole show in, and I, I you know, all of a sudden I couldn't hear my own uh, my own playback, so I thought, well, let's let's call in on the cell phone and see if it's playing. Unfortunately, it's playing fine. I got Pianchi on the line too. Pianchi's line is live. This has been an incredible day, especially my interview with uh, Christina Bob, which I was a little nervous and a little over enthusiastic. I'll, I'll have to listen to it. But uh, what do you think? What's uh, what's your uh, revelations for today, sir? Good morning. Well, it's pretty good. I like okay. about. Repairing the hole in the boat before you start uh, <laughs> bailing out water. <clears throat> yeah, that's Chris. He's but, local uh, here. I got, I got to get in touch with him and see if I can get him back on the show here pretty soon. But uh, yeah, I'm totally against the uh, these taxes on uh, capital short short term capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. This should be the same across the board. We always want to penalize people for being smart. And well, of course, in that too, this is this is money that's already been taxed. You know, if you make income, you pay an income tax, and then if you invest that and you make a capital gains, why would you pay a capital gains tax on money you've already paid tax on the income? So I would eliminate all capital gains taxes. I'd also eliminate all corporate taxes too, because that just raises the price of goods and services to the end consumer, which is us. You know, the company doesn't pay that, pass on that cost. So, so it's an additional tax on the American citizen, on the American individual. Well, you know, I like for people to look at the, the amendment that was made to Missouri Constitution back in mm-hmm. the 90s by a state rep, a Republican, Melvin Hancock. Uh-huh. And it basically said that if Missouri revenue exceeds its expenditures by 1%, that money has to go back to the people. And they don't allow them to raise taxes unless – and locally, you can't raise taxes locally. Local governments can't raise taxes unless they're voted on by the people themselves. And in the first two years, Missouri had given back close to a billion dollars in excess revenue to hmm. Missourians. And uh, that had to be done by a constitutional amendment. You couldn't do it with no law because Congress representatives, nobody pays attention to laws. They break them all the time. Yeah. So yeah, I really, do. So, but, uh, now, that's, that's really interesting in Missouri. So did the legislature didn't engineer – that they'd have like 0.9% instead of 1%? They didn't spend just under or uh, or rig the spending so they wouldn't have to give the money back? They actually gave it back the first couple of years. But, you know, then what happened? How did they get around it? Well, every year, any year, any year that your revenue is exceeding your expenditures, they make them cut. They make them cut. They say, and from 1995 to 1999, amid unprecedented surpluses, the state uh-huh. sent nine hundred the state sent nine hundred and seventy one million in refund checks to individuals and businesses, you know, in Missouri. Well see that's good though. That Missouri, actually increases the economy because that money would either be invested or spent. So you're actually improving the private economy, which generates more uh, 
gross domestic uh, product, which actually would increases the incomes, increases the wealth, and that actually would increase the tax by, by lowering their expenditures because there's more productivity, well, there's more productive economy. Huh. What happened in order to stop the annual rebate and lawmaker cut taxes on some pensions and remove the general revenue sales tax on food? That way it was uh, seen by everyone at all levels. So that's a good thing. Yeah, it sounds like it. There's a lot of places that don't tax food or don't tax food and clothing or basic clothing. Maybe they do you know, over a certain amount or something like that. But uh, those are generally uh, – that's, that's fairly common. Um, you know, I was just thinking of the gas tax. I understand a gas tax if it goes to the roads, which means the electric cars have to pay a, a tax too. You know, they should be paying a, a, the electric – you know, equivalent of a gas tax, you know, for using the roads as well. I'm not sure how you do that. Probably like a volt tax. <laughs> Probably have a revolt tax. <laughs> how would you In later years, you had uh, <clears throat> Governor Bob Holden, I think is a Democrat. He tried oh. to put a tax increase on the ballot as the state faced a budget shortfall for nearly $1 billion, and lawmakers refused. Then he went about cutting he started cutting programs in order to bring things back into line. You include public schools to the balanced budget, which is nothing wrong with that because if people had money in their pocket, they could uh-huh. increase the educational level of the children rather than spending dependent on government to do it all, which it never does go the right way because there's some given rule that X number percentage of every dollar that comes in from new revenue has to go to teacher salaries. And uh, hmm. I'm totally against it. Well, I guess any, any guaranteed uh, amount or earmark, California does that. You know, the 60% of the budget has to go for education. Well, it's stupid. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, when you look at the outcome. Yeah. Yeah, if I want to spend money, the last place I want to spend it, you know, if I want effective spending is education. Um, but that's just that's just one of uh, a bunch of issues that, that you know, and these are so many things that we need to deal with, you know, at the state level. Uh, did you get a chance to hear my interview earlier? I'm, I'm curious your feedback uh, from what I was talking about with uh, Christina Bob regarding the, the uh, 2020 election. Yeah, I heard it. She sounded pretty good. Okay. Exciting. Oh, yeah, and I was a little enthusiastic, I think, too. But she's, she works with One American News. She did, I guess, the last weekend update. Uh, there's some other uh, other things that uh, are going on here. Let me see. We've got another caller. Let's see if I recognize this one. Uh, oh, Pastor Don. <laughs> Let's get Pastor Don on the show. This would be interesting. Hey, good morning, Greg. Good morning to the old Yeah, town. good morning. How you doing? What's up? Where hey, are you Pastor Don. Happy, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too, brother. So what's up, Pastor John? I'm good, Where's man. I'm just getting going. I was just, I'm sorry. Look, I'm calling we got about, so uh, got about seven minutes left of the show today, and I'm on cell phone because Blockchart doesn't have uh, decibel meters. They don't have a DB meter yet. So it just my my uh, my headphone just cut out and my mic cut out, and so here I'm on the oh, cell wow. phone. So yeah. So so what, what's uh, what's up with you? What are you working on? Where are you? Uh, what's what's the latest uh, news campaign? Anything you want to talk about? We got about like I say about seven minutes. Well, I'm I'm just eagerly looking forward to this amazing year. It's the year of Michael Jordan. It's 2023. Everything you've been working on is going to come to fruition this year. 
there's no more vowing, no more planning. It's just actually putting it in motion. So that's about it, brother. How, what's the, why the year Michael Jordan? What's what's he doing this year? Well, nah, it's 23, and he has his number when he played before he changed to 45. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. But, yeah, he's like one of the greatest players that ever played a game, and I feel oh, like... Oh, I know who he is. And, but right. I was wondering if he was doing something new. Is he doing something politically? Is he Has he got a book? Has he uh, you know got a new campaign or something he's working on? Or I, I was just curious. No, nah, he's a consummate champion, and I feel like I have the winning team. We got 300 people. Everybody's trying to work to get to the next level. So I feel like this is the year that that goals will become action, just like Action Radio. Well, that's actually, so. What are your goals then? What, what do you What do you want to accomplish this year? I want to get my um, my winning team Gold Connection tour going. Uh, I want to visit 22 markets, purchase an abandoned building in each market, and we're going huh. to gut them. And people within a 50 mile radius, we're going to put them to work. Okay, this sounds good. What, what kind of buildings are you looking for? In, in, are we talking city buildings, country buildings? Where, where are these going to be? No, abandoned buildings. It's where most of this crime and violence happen. And I figure if we put a community center in this abandoned building, that's going to bring money to the community. That's going to give kids mm-hmm. something to do. And at the same time, it's going to help put uh, money at, back in the government. So. Do you have uh, places for small businesses, entrepreneurs, for new initiatives? or volunteer organizations or charities to set up as well? No, I don't. And that's why I'm on the radio right now. I'm putting the word out. Uh, you can contact me directly at 602-478-1619. That's 602-478-1619. But I, I need all the resources and the help. Uh, nothing is too small and nothing is too big. We can do. We can make a change this year. Mm-hmm. Are you a 501c3 organization? Or are you a nonprofit, or, or uh, how does it work? I'm for profit, brother. Okay, I am too. I mean, you know, there's the <laughs> only way I could do politics and lobby and things like that. Pianki, do you have a question for uh, Pastor Don? No, he seems like he's got a good plan, and knowing him, he's going to okay. make a lot of noise and hopefully get things done. He achieving. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, you know who might be interested in this? I was just thinking Marge Ture was on the show not too well a few months ago. He's looking at setting up uh, Second Amendment uh, firearm, I think, uh, ranges even in, in, in cities and things like that. If you're getting abandoned buildings, he might be able to help you out. Uh, and oh, and uh, so people can pursue their Second Amendment rights. That's Marge Ture. Are you familiar? Yeah, I, I, was, I was actually on the show with her when she called in last time. Okay, good. All right. See, I forgot that. I'm sorry. Yeah, but uh, he was on. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, that'd be something good. Also, there's probably some kind of grants available for you, federal yeah. state grants. Okay, so you're looking into that already? Get all the money I can get. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. You know, I wish there was an action radio grant, but we're so new. Nobody knows what we are, you know, in terms of uh, <laughs> government policy. Yeah, maybe someday. We'll see. Yeah, get an education grant. Yeah, okay. All right. All right so buddy. you got a question for me? Yes, I do, brother. How's your new year going? What, what do you have on your page? Well, like I can say we just had Christina Bob, who is Trump's attorney, so I'm hoping to get us connected with the Trump campaign and uh, have them take a look at our citizen legislation to see if they want to work with it, you know, during the 2024 campaign. Uh, we also have this, there's two people, it's really interesting, there's two people that um, ran for Congress in the last term, both of which were not supported by the, uh, the, the, the gelding old party, the Republicans, Calvin Windisch and uh, Jerome Bell both of whom are, are black men, conservative, um, 
you know, non-establishment Republicans who believe in our citizen legislation. Calvin Limbus is down here in Florida, in Orlando, and Jerome Bell's up in Virginia, Southern Virginia, I guess not too far from D.C. But Jerome was on recently, and he was talking about that. So, so there's a couple folks that not only might help you too, but uh, my goal is to have more folks, you know, do what they did, which is support citizen legislation during their actual campaigns. And then Jerome was talking about taking our bill. Oh yeah, this is we're going to be huge. This is everything's going really nicely right now. So Jerome was talking about. He would have brought our bill on vaccine product liability to Congress. He was going to bring about our, our bill on, on ending big uh, tech censorship to Congress. And the big one, uh, this is one I talked about with, with uh, Christine and Bob a little bit too, uh, is a bill that would uh, – it's a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. So instead oh, wow. of heading us for economic suicide and economic treason, if we stop Congress from borrowing money, they'll have to balance the budget. They won't have a choice. They will have to uh, – start paying down the national debt because as the, uh, the, the, the bonds become due, they have to pay them off to, quote, meet our obligations. It would get rid of inflation. Uh, it would uh, create kind of like a permanent prosperity. There'd be no need for the Fed. The, the monetary, uh, the, the money would be stable. It would increase in value. Everybody's retirements and savings you know, would go up. The purchasing power of the dollar would go up and prices would come down. So if you want to get behind a bill, you know, those, there's three right there. Vaccine product liability, any big tech censorship, um, the and a constitutional amendment to uh, take the power of Congress to borrow money. Amen. What do you think? Oh, that sounds real good, man. So that's what I'm doing. There's that's another cool, bill brother. too. Well, thank you. I, you know, listen. To, hey, hey, we're all on the same thing. We're all on the same team. We're all doing the Amen. same work. You know, if we can help people, if we can help our country, we can help our freedom. You know, that's that's what it's all about. One last bill you might be interested in too, and the way you find our bills. This is not just for you because you know, but to everybody else. WriteYourLaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And for the good bills, the ones that are ready for submission to, uh, to government, from Congress to local government, you, go, you hit the legislation button on, on uh, the menu bar, and then you scroll down three to all proposed laws. And that's where, you, that's where you find the bills I'm talking about now. Have you heard about our, our uh, government bureaucrat disarmament bill? No, I haven't. What's going on with that? This one is, is – I'm, I'm really proud of this bill. And what this does is it defines, as the Constitution does, three federal crimes, treason, piracy, and counterfeiting. Well, those three crimes can be handled by the U.S. Marshals and the Secret Service. You know, Secret Service has counterfeiting, and, and the, the Marshals can uh, – well, actually, the Marshals can handle, will handle treason. And piracy is done by the Navy and the Air Force because those are on the high seas in oh, the wow. air. So um, – so the only so the only thing left so all these other bureaucrats that are armed the FBI CIA you know all the intelligence agencies all the the SWAT teams and the Education Department and the Weather Service and all that kind of stuff none of them are allowed okay. to be armed constitutionally. So what our bill does oh, wow. is it disarms 287,000 bureaucrats, including 80,000 87,000 IRS agents, takes their guns, takes their ammo, uh, and gives it back to the people who pay for it, the taxpayers, and it comes back mm. to the people through the the uh, civilian marksmanship program, which checks citizenship, teaches gun safety, and teaches marksmanship, and then uh, but it, it allows people to purchase for a nominal fee, or in this case, I would have I would give them away um, guns from the government that the government's not constitutionally allowed to have. How's that for a bill? That's big, super huge. Yeah, well, it's all there. Just go to writeyourlaws.com and uh, hit uh, legislation, and then all proposed laws. And there it is. And the ones above that, propose a new law, that's where you write one. And the one next to that, citizen bill ideas, that's, that's kind of like our committee hearing. That's our workshop where we work on the bills. 
So that's what oh, I'm wow. doing. Yeah. Oh, man, congratulations. Well, thank you. So give yourself a shameless plug. Tell people how to reach you once again. And we're done for today. All right. Uh, once again, my name is Pastor Don Jr., CEO. My direct number is 602-478-1619. That's 602-478-1619. So I'll go to my website, PastorDonJRCEO.com. PastorDonJrCEO.com. And y'all have a great day and enjoy the year of Michael Jordan. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. That's what I call a shameless plug. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty good. All right, you take care. I'm just gonna I'm gonna play a musical selection and, and close out the show. Um, for all, right, all those folks, you. That are, that, thank you, Pastor Don. I appreciate having you on uh, on the show here. So our website here, blogtalkradio.com/slash/citizenaction. That's where you find us. Our legislative website I've given already. Uh, writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And to help us out, our, our Give Send Go site is givesendgo.com/actionradio. That's give sendgo.com slash action radio. I played everything I need to play, so I'll just give you a little classical music to uh, send you all on your way uh, to having a great day. Tomorrow, tomorrow's Friday, so tomorrow's our early day. So we'll be in at 6 a.m. Central time as opposed to the usual 7 a.m. the rest of the week. 6 a.m. Central, and I'll see you all tomorrow. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.